Starfish, hand me my iPhone. I gotta call Connor Oberst. Uh-oh. This story is dedicated to the offbeat, beatnik bop crowd and their peculiar means of communication. Yeah. You'll laugh with them, you'll worry with them, but most of all, you'll enjoy them. I tell you what, I'm a dancing fool. <laughs> Crazy, man, crazy. Greetings and welcome to On The Loose Show number 14. I'm KB and joining me today is Mr. John P. Ozzel. Hello, Christopher. Thank you. Jason Noir. This show is guaranteed to put dips in your hips, hep in your step, and most definitely put ride in your stride. Wow. <laughs> yeah! That's, that's good. Freddie Arnold. Chimichanga. Choctaw. <laughs> <laughs> and today we have a very special guest, Mr. Scott Porter. I'm just happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. And seriously, thanks for doing this. We can't tell you how excited we are to have a bona fide superstar in the booth with us today. Where is he? Mr. Scott Porter. <laughs> if you don't know who he is, let me tell you all about him. If the Greek god Atlas was holding a giant bowl full of meaty rock and roll stew on his shoulders instead of the earth, Scott would be the ladle that stirs the steamy rock goodness and delivers it right to your loving little pink painted lips. That's meat. No veggies wow. in that. Yeah, that's true. No pressure. All rock meat. Now... Seriously, though, he has been in countless bands, including one of the best band names ever, The Fabulous Badasses. Mm -hmm. Great, great name. Awesome name. Record Hop, and his current gig is Strange Towers. Scott is genuinely considered to be, without a doubt, the cracked vertebrae and the backbone of the music community. (laughs) You're very kind. Oh, wow. No, we're we're excited to have you today. That's amazing. I'm happy to be here. So today, we're doing things a little bit different. Instead of talking about new music and what we are currently listening to and all that other usual razzle-dazzle, we thought, what better way to start off our first show of this year than to talk about great debut albums from different artists. So we have a ton to get to. Let's get started. Put on your dancing shoes, powder your wigs, and whip out your disco balls. It's time to start burning bridges from both ends. Jason. What is your first pick? Well, the first album I want to talk about is the Beastie Boys' License to Ill. Let's take a listen to the first song on that album, Rhyming and Stealing. this album as a great debut. I love this album. I mean, this album is just so personal for me. I think I mentioned in a previous episode that I had been listening to this ever since it came out. I was in third grade, 
walking to school, carrying a boombox on my shoulder, just cranking the sucker as loud as it would go. Yes, parachute pants, break dance, everything. Yeah. This is one of the rare albums for me that just never gets old. It's just as fresh listening to it today as it was back in 1986. Yeah, this was released in 1986 and is considered to be by many the first rap rock hybrid album. One of my favorite things about this album is that they use so many rock elements, like obviously Led Zeppelin, Zeppelin. uh, Sabbath, The the Clash, Sabbath, yes. It's what I think keeps it new and fresh and definitely would not be able to be done today. Yeah, and like in in this song, for example, the lyrics talk about Moby Dick, Hulk Hogan, Colonel Sanders, Betty Crocker, and they're able to put all that together brilliantly, but with the kind of cartoony sounding voice. I think the really important part of License to Ill was the appearance of Rick Rubin. I mean, I think his production on this is what created that hybrid post-punk slash rap sound. And he did that in a lot of his records. Like he, uh, Well, it was know. because of him they could incorporate so many different rock elements. Correct. Because he was a pretty renowned rock producer at that time. Right. Scott, what do you think of License to Ill? I, I, it's an album that's meant a lot to me my entire life. Yeah. When I was in junior high, it came out, and the older kids were already wearing their uh, the BC Boys shirts, and it was all strange and weird to me. Um, and I, <laughs> It was all really cool to me. Uh, when I think about this album now, what gets me is how later in their careers they kind of turned their back on that stage of their more kind of like yeah. started out Silly. as punk rockers, ended up as deep thinkers, but you know this was the stage when they were just party boys touring with right. Madonna. They definitely kind of weren't yeah. thinking free Tibet at the time they put out Indeed. License to Hill. This album, to show you how old I was, I was two years out of high school when this came out. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. They so. played this entire album at one of my junior high school dances. So that's wow. That's what I always think about is, like, literally front to back, they played the entire album. Well, I'm yeah. telling you, my Ford Maverick, this was playing in that. <laughs> yes, yeah, rocking the K-set. Interesting thing about this, uh, when they started off, a lot of the lyrics on this album were very misogynistic, and they got a lot of flack for that. So when they would play some of these songs live, they would change some of the lyrics, oh, I didn't know you know. That. Yeah, wasn't the album even... They, they wanted to call it, like, Don't Be a Fag or something? Yeah. Or the original name, and they wouldn't release the album under that title, so they had to change it to License to Ill. Mm. Yeah. And one of the hit songs, Girls, mm. they never played that song live. Really? Which I think is strange. Huh. I can't tell you how many times I heard that on the radio, though. I yeah. do think it's cool that Carrie King from Slayer... Yes, yes. Played I on didn't no know that. No, no, no Sleep Till Brooklyn, yeah. yeah. And really, with any sentence that starts with, I think it's cool that Carrie King from Slayer, I mean, you can just yeah, end the yeah, sentence yeah, right, right. Yeah. and fit it into yeah. any situation. Right. Oh, yeah. There's breathing in air. Carrie yes. King, always cool. Also, uh, in the video, there was the uh, debut of one Tabitha Soren. Really? In the video. Oh, uh, interesting. No in Sleep Till Brooklyn? No, in that. Sorry. Fight for Your Right to Party. Was oh, her, okay. was her okay. video debut. It was her video debut. Freddie, now you're a little bit younger, so... What do you think of Beastie Boys' License to Ill? Well, I was first exposed to them uh, with Sabotage. Okay, so later on. Yeah, it was a little after this. But it's interesting, like, looking back at this now, and so many of these songs, like the alternative rock radio station in Atlanta, where I grew up, would play She's Crafty, Girls, Five Your Right, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. And so I knew, like, a lot of the tracks off of this. And then on doing a little research, I realized that Paul's Boutique is considered their classic album yeah, yeah. highly praised mm. but really the only like hit off that one was Hey Ladies and then this one has so many more like 
everyone knows the tracks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Seems, you know. Yeah, this, so. this, I think, by far has the most familiar tracks when you think of Beastie Boys. You think a lot of these songs from this album. I think Paul's Boutique was more of like a Sgt. Pepper's thing for them. It was a lot more production, a lot more thought put into it. Yeah. It's sort of the first clue of what they would eventually become. Yeah, yeah it was kind of the first step into their maturation. Mm -hmm. so, it, yeah. This album had Brass Monkey as well, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So I, we played that song at our wedding, me and my wife. So. <laughs> nice. So, speaking of Freddie's wedding, John, what do you want to talk about as your first favorite debut album? Well, I was thinking about Freddie's wedding, and I thought... As we all are. How he probably, you know, should have had that first night, that honeymoon night. I don't want to talk about this. So intimate. Yeah, <laughs> the intimacy and... Put right. his head! <laughs> all right. Uh, so speaking of Freddie's wedding, let's go ahead and talk about <laughs> Portis Head. <laughs> I picked Portis Head Dummy, and the song is Strangers. Let's check it out. when this came out this was kind of at the birth of trip hop and I know we're going to be talking about another trip hop album later yeah, this one will. was released in 1994 correct so this is one of the first trip hop albums right not the first but it was one of the first and this was honestly my introduction to trip hop mine too I just remember getting this album and I remember hearing the buzz about it and so I went ahead and popped it in and I think I left it in for the entire day it's and a great album. It really was a game changer for me as far as just a musical style that just took a left turn and the breathy vocals, the ethereal arrangements. What were you more into at the time? I was probably more into Sebado and Buffalo Tom and uh, maybe at the end of Grunge. and So like a complete 180 almost. Complete 180. Just Yeah, it was amazing. And that's a good point. When this came out, this probably shouldn't have worked as being as popular as it was. Right. And, and it, it I mean, it came out in the height of the almost post-Grungeal era. Right. Yeah. Scott, what was your first introduction to Portishead? Portishead, every time I hear it, to this day, still takes me back to, I guess, right around the summer, right after it came out. Portishead is the soundtrack to me not getting laid in the early 90s. <laughs> <laughs> um, every party I went to was the same 10 people. Half of them were girls, Amy and Angie and Allie. And um, a lot of A girls. But yeah, yeah. yeah, so that was our group of friends. And so it was always... Um, I bet it a folder, don't sleep with Scott. But, you know, we'd be getting super high, uh, sitting in barns, listening to Portishead. Yes. And it just, it sounds like these very specific girls to me. Yes, And yes. I, I'm still friends with them, and they're all awesome, and everybody dated everybody for about 10 years. But to this day, Portishead, it, w it was no game changer for me, it, but it's great comfort food for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's cool how uh, you can revisit certain albums and just instantly be transported back to like the soundtrack of certain summers. Yeah, totally. You know, so then that's one of these albums. There I remember was... when that came out, and it's kind of the same for me. I, the... I just have specific memories of yeah. certain songs. The, the greatest night of Portishead uh, of my life was we were in a barn out in Scotland, Texas, um, sitting on top of like 20-foot stacks of hay and, and our truck <laughs> that we'd all kind of driven out to my buddy's Cody Jackson's. Right, you know, yes, Our Jackson. friend Cody Jackson. He has his land out there in this barn, and, and it rained while we were out there, and the truck was just stuck in the mud, so we had to stay in the barn all night. And um, so just kind of with the window cracked just outside the barn with this plane over and over and over all night. Beautiful. Yeah, it was, it was great. Freddie, Portishead. I unexpectedly liked this. Had you heard it before? I was familiar with the name of the band, and I want to say the aforementioned alternative rock station that I grew up listening to played one of their songs. I couldn't tell you which one. Probably Sour Times. Yep, probably. Yeah. That was their big single off of this album. I did listen to one or two other tracks from this album, Dummy, and this particular song, Strangers, I really liked. The other songs I listened to didn't really appeal to me as much, but I did like this track. It had a very cool, like, haunting quality to it. Yeah, definitely. I think I mentioned this before, that there's a video game that has a lot of music in it called Alan Wake that I think I mentioned in the show previously. Yeah, you have. You've talked about several tunes from that. And this particular song would be perfect for that game. Another thing I was surprised to learn is these guys have only put out three albums, and I was going to ask you guys, is there a reason why they've only done such a Because they got, they are notorious as far as they don't give interviews they are Gibbons never talks no she doesn't speak to anybody and they just like their life they all have their side projects and a couple of our producers Gibbons does work with Rustin Man right yeah and you know so they have other irons in the fire I do like this song a lot um, it's not my favorite on the album uh, I think the album opener Mysterons I love is that yeah. probably one of my favorites of uh, all of their music and Numb their very first single that was before this album came out, that might I be really like that one too. too. For me, it was Strangers, Glory Box, and Roads. It's a good, the, solid album. It's almost a completely flawless album. Right? Yeah, you can just leave it on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if you ever listened to uh, the uh, release in 2002, the live album, uh, Roseland, New York yes, City. Yes, yes, that's with a great the orchestra. One. Yes, that's uh, beautiful. That is a that. beautiful record. Yeah, it's, with it's, the luxurious strings. If you haven't heard it, definitely check it out. It's really worth your time. Jason, what do you think about Portishead? Seriously, this album, when it came out in 1994, is in my top three albums of that year, along with Downward Spiral and Nirvana's Unplugged album. Those were my three favorite albums of that year. And in my opinion, Beth Gibbons has the sexiest voice of any singer in the last 20 years. Including LL Cool J? Well... <laughs> think about it. I'll okay. think about it. Including the girl from the Divinals? What about that dude from Fog Hat? <laughs> Fog Hat. <laughs> well, last 20 years. Oh, 20 years. Right. Right. Um, Barely makes it under the mark. Yeah, this was just so cool when it came out, man. It was like this down-tempo hip-hop beat mixed with a 40s torch singer and throw in like the feel of a 60s spy flick and the cool of John Coltrane and... Here you have this album. You know what the cool thing, that is one of those albums where if you show up at the party and it's in the burbs and everybody's hanging out in the dim room, these songs come on and everybody gets a little cooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Everybody's walking a little slower. Yeah. And this is definitely one of those albums that makes everything cooler. It's a sex record. Yeah, it, it is. is. I've and always thought it's probably the, the greatest sex record ever. And it's uh, you just gave me the shivers. Stop it. It's super hot. I'll draw pictures if you'd like. I mean, next, Scott. Did, did a did a lot of uh, goth girls get into this band? Because I I'm looking through there. I was out of my goth phase at this point. So, 
I was looking through their uh, list of songs that have appeared in movies, and this was in The Craft in 1996 with their song Scorn. Makes perfect sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I could see a lot of goth girls hopping on the Portishead train. Also, Tank Girl, 1995. Hated that movie. Tank Girl, uh, yeah, that ruined my life. That's uh, the girls (laughs) I go for to this day. Women, I should say, because I'm like 94. (laughs) They all kind of look like Tank Girl. Oh, you're... Yeah, pants are ripped. Your hair is not cut evenly. Yeah, you're doing that. Okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> Tank girl, worst. Tank girl. So moving from the awfulness of Tank Girl, <laughs> Scott, what was your first debut album pick? Uh, I'm going with Ramones. Ramones. Yes. Uh, my thing with the Ramones is their entire career is one giant mixtape. You know? Okay. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. uh, I I think they're just sort of the quintessential can-do American rock and roll band. I love their story. I don't remember the first time I heard the Ramones. The Ramones have just always been there. And at this point, they're almost quaint. You know, they were actual New York punks who invented right. something. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, I, I, you see those pictures of them carrying their gear and grocery bags on the subway. Yes. And just looking and acting like a gang. But they're secretly, you know, Joey Ramone, a pop star genius kind of thing. So we're going to listen to the first Ramones song that everybody hears and try to listen to it like it's the first time you've heard it, because you've heard it a million times, Blitzkrieg Bop. Awesome. Let's take it from the top here, guys. 45 (laughs) after the hour. So, with Blitzkrieg Bop, the first note, you know, it's the first note of the first album of this band's career. Yes. And I've always loved how that first note has a little extra, when you listen to it, there's this heavy splash to it. It's just, yeah. Boom, it comes in like a monster. It comes in like a million tons. Uh, and I just, I love this band. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. And again, at this point, they've been oversold, overplayed, and I say bullshit to that. Yeah. There's always room for the remotes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen these guys live? Uh, no, I didn't. I, I had one chance. They were playing, I think, with like Social Distortion yes. and the Bronco Bowl. That's where I saw them. I didn't get to go to that because the, there was a girl who lived in my street. I, I had not taken her to prom <laughs> when I said it would, and her dad bought her a dress, and he was going to beat me up at the fucking <laughs> Ramon show. So I didn't go. That's I didn't punk go. rock, too. No, that was... He was, I wasn't. I, I was like, I'm not going to that stupid Ramon show. I didn't even like him that much back then. Um, I just wanted to go. It was a great show, and I counted, and they said, one, two, three, four, like they do on every song. <laughs> nice. They said it like 28,000 times, because, yeah. you know, like most of their songs are like less than two minutes, so oh, yeah. they're playing like an hour and a half set. Have you, have you seen the, the documentary, End of the Century? Yes. Love it. Yes, brilliant. Love it. Joey Ramon breaks my heart, and... uh 
I, I just, you know, what a sad, gentle, yeah. A, a, some would say sort of unfulfilled man, you know. Yeah. But he'll always but be true genius, one but me. completely destroyed himself. Yeah, just to a point, you know. Just uh, you know, toward the end there, kind of turning inside, and it was kind of rough watching them fall apart at the end, you know. And Johnny turned into a huge asshole. Yeah. But he's in the Ramones. What do you expect? He's a punk rock guitar player. Now yeah. this album was released in 1976, and there was nothing, nothing like this. They, they made it for $6,400. Yeah, yeah. And, nice. and practically overnight. Yeah. They just went in, blew the doors off, recorded, and had an amazing album. Yeah. Actually, it sounds like it was recorded in somebody's garage, but they took a lot of time and utilized a lot of the techniques that the Beatles used on a lot of their albums. That's And there's Joey right there. Joey wanted to be something bigger than, I think, what they ended up being in a lot of people's eyes, you know? Those well, are a lot great, of people write them off as perfect just, songs. Yeah, just as like a slacker band just doing... Well, you know, and everybody stole so much from them sound-wise that, you know, when you, if, if I play the Ramones for my 12-year-old niece right now, it's going to sound like every serial commercials he's ever seen. Yeah. Um, every sort of bumper on her Nickelodeon shows. Everything is, is that style of pop punk now. But, uh, Don't you hate that? Uh, yeah, sort of, sort of a lot. Marketing, yeah. Yeah, but uh, now Freddie, as a true punk rock and roller fan, what's your perspective on the Ramones, and when were you introduced to the Ramones? Was this an early on band that got you into other bands, or did you come to these guys through other avenues? Uh, I mean, I was raised on MTV, I'll admit it. Nirvana was like the first band that really blew my mind, and then after that was the wave of you know, mid-90s pop punk or whatever you want to call it with um, Green Day, Offspring, and Rancid. And then Rancid like owes their entire career to the Ramones. And yes, the definitely. Album. So I think it was probably through Rancid, which we're going to probably talk about later uh, with Operation Ivy. But, um, yeah, this first Ramones album, the self-titled, I mean, not only Blitzkrieg Bop, but Beat on the Brat, Judy's a Punk. I don't think I've, because I don't think I've ever owned this album. I've always had the, what do you call the greatest hits they put out? The, um, the Ramones, all this and... Oh, yeah, I don't, I can't recall it all. I'll I've always that. had those, like, collections. Yeah. I've never had the actual albums. <clears throat> and I've never heard Today, Your Love, Tomorrow, The World, and I didn't know about the controversy. Um, it's the final song on the album, and it has a lot of Nazi references. Oh, yeah, yeah, it does. And, and they even had to change the line before yeah. they could put it out. Yeah, not, and he says, I'm a Nazi shazi, something like that, which I looked up and apparently means darling, so a Nazi darling. Joey's such a wordsmith. <laughs> <laughs> Poet indeed. I'll but yeah, you, great, great album. Great yeah. pick. Thank you. Excellent pick. I'll tell you, back um, a few episodes ago when we were talking about our favorite punk rock songs, I think I went with Teenage Kicks by The Undertones. Mm-hmm. Close second was Judy is a Punk. Yeah. I love that song so much. My, I think my favorite Ramones song is uh, Bonzo Goes to Pittsburgh. Mine too. Yeah. Now, just that's an odd one to pick, but mine too. Masterpiece. Just it really perfect is. sing-along. Um, it's great. It's hooky, and it's almost melancholy. Yeah. Oh. A lot of their yeah, songs are really upbeat and kind of silly. It's kind of, you know, about everything everything they were sort of fighting against. Yeah, the Reagan era. Losing, it's kind of like, it's about losing the battle, I guess, yeah. you know? Yeah. See, yeah. I always like to now want to sniff some glue. Yeah. Because I just really like the time changes, and the, it was a really odd record. I mean, just from just a performance stand, you know, from everything else that you knew of them. I didn't mm-hmm. get into them immediately, of course. I was 10 years old. I had no idea. I was so into the Beatles at that point, and Paul McCartney and all that, and it was probably 78, and I remember seeing them on the cover of, like, Hit Parader or Cream or something like yeah. that, and, you know, my whole world opened up with them and Blondie and the cars and that whole world there, so... My introduction to these guys was honestly through Rock and Roll High School. Oh, yeah. I oh, loved, yeah. loved that movie. Yeah. And 
I think I was a little bit familiar having heard some of those songs on the radio, but didn't really associate with who they were. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Rock and Roll High School. I was like, is this really a real band? These guys can't really be a real thing. Mm -hmm. So then I got more into it and started looking for more of their stuff. And was like, lo and behold, this is a real, honest to God, punk rock band. And yeah, I just I, I loved it from the moment I saw it. And I also some of the songs that you don't hear very much about on this album. Uh, Chainsaw. Mm -hmm. you, I love how they rhyme Texas Chainsaw Massacre with They Took My Baby Away From Me. Love that. <laughs> uh, also, I, I really enjoy how they are very specific on things they do want to do and oh, yeah. don't want to do. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> I do want to be your boyfriend and sniff some glue. It is black and white. Yeah. Right. right. And I don't want to go down to the basement and walk around with you. So that's... Right. That's heavy duty. I mean, that's conviction right there. Yeah. Girls, you don't want a boyfriend that sniffs glue. <laughs> that's bad news. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're talking about the themes of the Nazism, but they also were, um, they had themes of violence, male prostitution, and drug use, which I'm sure... That's right that, up your alley. It's all DD. It was pretty yeah. much like, <laughs> yeah. It's all DD. Kind of like the soundtrack of my life. That's pre-hip-hop right there, man. DD was the original vocalist, and Joey was on drums. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I in the that. very beginning, yeah, I had no idea, and I, I just doing research... I stumbled across that and thought that would have been really interesting if that's the way it would have turned out. TD is something special. Yeah, that's for sure. There's a really great uh, image you can find online. It's uh, two pie charts, and one is the Ramones and one is the Misfits. And it says the Ramones want to, and it has all the things they want to <laughs> do. And it's like, live my life, puke, sniff some glue, something to do, shock treatment, have some chicks, get some kicks, steal from the rich and give to the poor. <laughs> And then the Misfits is, skulls. Misfits want your skulls. Yeah, skulls. That's awesome. <laughs> that's good. I like the Misfits, too. Now, delving more into the darkness, like the Misfits, the album I went with was oh, yeah. Black Sabbath, the first Black Sabbath album called Black Sabbath. What are we listening to? The Wizard. Let's check it out. this song. It's always been one of my favorite Sabbath songs. I love how it starts out with that eerie harmonica. Mm. Just, It's so different for that time. It's dark, it's brooding, it's heavy. And you have to remember, when this came out in 1970, they recorded this at the height of flower power. Mm. So, I mean, it's all peace, love, and hippies and shit, but these guys are delving into the darkness and just really coming up with something brand new. And to me, and I think to most people, uh, I consider this the first heavy metal album. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I can go with that. Yeah, okay. that's I like that uh, the Wizard a lot because it just it really showcases each of them individually as musicians. And I really, I always liked Geezer Butler as a bass player. There's an Evil Woman, the cover that they did. Yes, 
where he just that is a great baseline. Yes, and song. and Bill Ward too. Oh yeah, remarkable drummer. Oh yeah, I'm pissed that I didn't get started. I wanted to go see them, the reformed Black Sabbath, and uh, I guess when they kicked them out again, <laughs> right? Yeah, I was just that's, he not, that's not a reunion tour at that well, point. He said that he wasn't given a signable contract. So right. I don't know what that means, but right. obviously he wasn't happy, but money. It's Split it four some, ways. Something yeah. money. Now, this song is actually inspired by Lord of the Rings, uh, Gandalf, and like so many other rockers of this era who were inspired by Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and that whole wizard and elves. Fantasy world. Yeah, the yeah. fantasy. I, I think this song, to me, sounds very fantastical. Yeah. If that's correct. Uh, it also sounds to me like... Uh, uh, you, you know that song Train Kept a Rollin'? Mm-hmm. Uh, Yardbirds? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. The, uh, it sounds to me like that song's evil stepbrother or something. Nice. Like, uh, if that song were played by like drunken devil ghosts, you would get this song. Did you listen to the original version of uh, Evil Woman by The Crow? No. Yeah. Go listen to that and then listen to The Sabbath. I think they recorded theirs a year later. It's huh. a cover. And it is remarkably different. I, I would imagine you talk about the flower power sound. That's kind of what you had with the Crow. You know, they wrote that song and performed it first, and then Black Sabbath did it. And boy, they just they tore that shit apart. Now they recorded this album in a day. Like Seriously? a lot well, of the yeah. albums we talk about are recorded very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's something to that. If it was just time constraints, money no, constraints. I just or, wonder maybe with their blue collar roots, working class. I mean, it's. You probably don't spend a lot of money if you don't have a lot of money. True. And you probably don't think it's going to go anywhere, so you just bang it out and, you know. Right. And they played this essentially live in studio with Ozzy in another room singing. Hmm. So they recorded it one day, mixed it the second day, and were like on tour the third day somewhere else. A lot of young bands do that. Yeah. I was surprised to learn that from this song, The Wizard, uh, the harmonica, which is very prominent, is actually played by Ozzy. Yeah. yeah, Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I think that's neat because a lot of people don't think of Ozzy as as a musician, mm-hmm. yeah. per se. Yeah. I was actually thinking that because, I mean, like I said earlier, I grew up on MTV, and I know Ozzy from the reality show. That's how I always saw him. The Osbournes? Oh, okay. The, okay. As the yeah. old, you know, blubbering... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. interesting to think of him back in the 70s and being like, you know, writing these introspective lyrics and, mm. you know, oh, yeah. being a technical musician and... I never owned this album uh, growing up. I had Paranoid and I had Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. And I don't know why those two, but those were the ones that... Uh, well, I, of course I had Paranoid huge. because, yeah. you know, yeah. Iron Man and all that. But the only song I knew from this was N.I.B. from the Primus cover. was a pretty oh, big yeah. hit. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Uh, that Ozzy did vocals for. That came out in, like, late 90s, something mm-hmm. like that. That was yeah, a pretty yeah. big hit for the radio where I grew up. I didn't even make that connection that the Primus covered. Yeah, yeah. okay. I'd never heard this album before this. Uh, you know, I was very familiar with them from Paranoid and Iron Man, uh, War Pigs, all of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Never heard this album, so this sounds totally different from all of that. I mean, it's more bluesy. It's more, yeah, like, yeah. It, if I didn't know what this was, I would think this is like a, you know, a B-side or of Zeppelin or Cream or like you said, Yardbirds. Uh-huh. I mean, it was very, very British. Yeah. It just sounds very working class. It is, and the, the town they came from, Birmingham, that is a steel town. Yeah. You either worked at the steel mill or you didn't work. And that's, strangely enough, how they came up with 
their signature sound is Tony Iommi, the guitar player, lost part of his index finger in yeah. an accident, and so he had to tune down to drop D, and so that gave them a more beefy, sinister, lower sound. Wow. I love his riffs. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. He's a riff master. Man, I love the title track, Black Sabbath. Black Just Sabbath. how slow and sludgy it is. Have you ever heard the uh, typo negative cover? No. There was a, uh, what was it, Nativity in Black was a covers album that came out, and they're on that, and that, they cover that out, and that song, and it's great. Huh. B- Sabbath forever, man. Sabbath. <laughs> Love roll. Sabbath. Good choice. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. Now, Freddie, uh-huh. let's get to your pick. All right. What did you pick for your <laughs> first great debut album? Well, I want to give myself a pat on the back here because I think, I, I, think I might <laughs> I might be the first to not pick an album that is not in the Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time. <laughs> Almost every pick on this list is on that except for Shellac and a couple of others. Um, and against me, the uh, band that I decided to go with, their album Re- Reinventing Axl Rose isn't on there, probably never will be. It's just something that really appeals to me. Um, the album was put out in uh, March 2002, 11 tracks, 31 minutes, sing-along, fun. What song are we listening to? We're listening to the first track, Pints of Guinness Makes You Strong. a song on this album, Reinventing Axl Rose, that I don't enjoy. Uh, I saw these guys recently. I mentioned, I think in the last episode, uh, with the band Fake Problems, I mentioned going to this show and actually crowd surfing like an idiot, even though I'm too, <laughs> too fat for that and too old for that. But it was a freaking awesome time. And I mean, just some of the standout tracks off the cuff here. Uh, we Laugh at Danger and Break All the Rules. Those anarcho-punks are mysterious. Baby, I'm an anarchist. And one of my favorite song titles, Walking is Still Honest. I love that song title. It is. Good. This song, to me, it sounds like an interesting mix of almost like spaghetti western music and a screaming Irish drunken bar brawl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, at the time, like, this is considered folk punk, you know, and there's, like, like, other artists that, I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that now, but at, like, 2002, there wasn't a whole lot that you could say, like, there's, like, Billy Bragg was doing that kind of thing. Right. But, I mean, this really was something something new to me, like, when I first heard this. And these guys are out of... uh, Florida, and so it was surprising growing up in Georgia, I never got to see them until just last year. They've been around for a while. They they formed first in 97 with singer-guitarist Tom Gable, who is apparently now Laura Jane Grace, Yes, mm-hmm. um, as a solo act, and then started he, she, they, whatever, had a few demos, EP releases, and then this LP came out in 2002. Right. So it's a, it's a kind of a more recent pick. Right. So what brought you to Against Me? 
They were on, I think, the their Fat Records, which is owned by uh, Fat Mike from Fat Mike, yeah. I think he put out this album, or maybe it got re-released on Fat Records. I don't remember exactly, but that was how I was exposed to them. And I think the thing that really grabbed me, not just the, like, stripped-down, you know, like, acoustic folkiness of it, but also, like, lyrically, he isn't afraid to, like, make jabs at the punk rock community and, like, say things that... You wouldn't normally expect to, like, things about, like, your grandparents. Like, this, this song in particular is about his grandparents' relationship and how his grandfather was an alcoholic and how hard it was on his grand. Like, you don't normally think okay. that's what I hear in a punk rock song. Yeah, yeah. So it's just really surprised me, and, and I can't wait for their next album. They're still a band that I look they forward are, to. Yeah, they are. They're coming out with a, a new one as, what was it, Trans... Transgender yeah. Dysmorphia Blues. Yeah, yeah. So that should be interesting to see which direction they go now that Tom or Laura yeah. is now full-fledged yeah. transgender-fying. Right. Um, yeah, great Rolling Stones article. If you haven't heard about the whole thing that KB mentioned, uh, definitely check out the Rolling Stones. Uh, he did a full, the whole, he got revealed in Rolling Stone magazine that he was going to do this and become a woman. Right. So if you're interested in that and you're not a narrow-minded asshole, um, <laughs> check it out. Um John, I know you like one of their more uh, mainstream yeah, kinda, songs, and so I, well, I was interested to hear what you thought about this song and this album. I actually like the record quite a bit. Um, I wrote down, damn, I love the opening song nice. a lot. And I think That's it's mainly, the song. Yeah. I believe it's because it's titled Pints of Guinness Make You Strong, which I believe. I mean, that's a... Yeah, which is based off of, like, they actually promote in Ireland, like, Guinness yeah. that way. Like, you drink a Guinness. A, ever met a, a weak Irishman? No. No, no sir. Yeah, see. No, but I thought, song for song, I thought it was a pretty damn good album. I liked that Baby, I'm an Anarchist, a little, little I, bit I also liked that one, and Jordan's First Choice, I thought was a yeah. really cool song on this album, yeah. too. I liked Politics of Starving. I liked the opening of that. Nice. Even the closer, uh, I think it's um, Eight Full Hours of Sleep. Mm-hmm. I think I put that that song on a mix CD for my wife because it's real chill and mellow. <laughs> like most of the songs on the CD, like screaming so much, she would just turn it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that that one is a good closer. Scott, what did you think of this? This isn't always uh, my favorite kind of. I, I don't listen to much that comes out anymore because I'm uh, boring and like only me old. Listening to the three albums that right. I've got on my <laughs> list today, um, but I have a lot of respect for Laura. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, because I have a transgendered friend who was able to sort of make the leap recently because of what Laura's done and what Lana Wachowski's done. Yes. And so um, I like. I know who you're talking about, and a lot of people are supporting him. Her. Yeah, her. Her. Sorry. Yeah, it's. <laughs> Sorry. So I, I've been following against me closer now than I ever have before in my life. I'm not well versed enough in the music. I liked the songs I heard on Spotify, um, but I'm curious to know what were you listening to right before. This album clearly made an impact on you, and was everything different after that? Like, did Against Me rise to the top of your punk rock pack once you heard this shit? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I'm, this album definitely grabbed my attention, and then they've had, a, I think, three or four albums since then, mm-hmm. and there's always been the few tracks off of it that I'm like, oh, okay, I've heard that one, but I haven't followed them extremely closely, and then I think... I started getting more into them when they when they announced their you know that tour that came through last year, and I started going back and revisiting their catalog and realizing like these guys have been churning out great albums since you know the early two thousands, yeah. and uh, I kind of felt like I was I had been missing out because I remember this album coming out and then kind of like falling off of it, 
and like going and getting into other stuff. And uh, but yeah, all the albums are pretty good. I mean, they, and a lot of people give them flack for signing to a major label, and you know the sound is not as abrasive as you hear. Like Laura does not scream on the more recent albums as much. It's, but I mean, to me, they're, they're just, they've matured as a band. I don't want to hear Reinventing Axl Rose for the fourth time. Right. And I think the title of this album, um, I don't know if you guys did any research into that, but it's kind of like meaning reinventing what it means to be a rock star. Like be doing it on your own. Like, right, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Because Axl Rose needs to be reinvented right now. <laughs> Immediately. Yeah. Axl Rose is kind of a prick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, we need to go back to the drawing board with Axl Rose. I heard Maybe that it'll... show last year was insane. Actually insane. The Against, the Me, Against show? Me show? Oh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, I heard about it on the, I guess on the ticket. Oh, and you were there? I was there. Crowd serving like a crazy Crowd serving. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd be curious to, to delve more into Against Me after hearing you talk about it. Well, that's, yeah. that's a great compliment, I there guess. You go. Scott, <laughs> what is your second album that you want to talk about? I want to talk about Shellax at Action Park. This album totally changed my life and shit. Yes. Yeah. I discovered what rock and roll was supposed to sound like and what punk rock really meant with this. Um, the song I picked is A Minute, and pay special attention to the last few several seconds of the song, and go. song in particular, mm -hmm. A Minute, just one of my all-time favorite sh uh, shellac songs. Maybe one of my all-time favorite songs. This is uh, such a great song. This and Dog and Pony Show are just yeah. my two favorites from this album. It's a great album. I mean, it, it clocks in right under 40 minutes, it, mm -hmm. so it's really fast, It's but it's so amazing, just the sound that Steve had, Albini gets. I had never heard anything like this album when I heard it, and I didn't know what to think of it the first time I heard it especially the end of the song we just listened to a minute. The repetition and just the sheer bruising, bonk, bonk, yes. bonk. Yes. I had never even once, uh, as a young rock and roller, thought, well, that seems like a good idea. Right, yeah. Um, and then I, I, it's, I've ripped that song off for the rest of my life every time I've ever tried to. I do it. honestly hear a lot of shellac influence in your playing. Well, you know, there's, uh, in every group of music fans of, uh, of a certain age, and maybe, I guess, if you're more into the sort of uglier, kind of heavier music, punk, shit like that, there's always the weirdo in the group that's all about Albini. Loves Albini, knows all the Albini bands, goes to the Albini message board, all that stuff. I think he is a, a true American hero, Steve Albini. The way he uh, handles himself has informed 
the way I handle myself, for better or for worse. And he's an amazing producer, and, and listen up, people, because he has produced pretty much everything you like. Yeah. He he has uh, produced... He doesn't <laughs> like producing, he likes right. recording engineers. Yes. So, he's recording engineered Nirvana, The Pixies, Jawbreaker, PJ Harvey, and even Mr. Scott Porter's album by his band Record Hop. Yes. So, you've had the... the uh, what, the... the <laughs> You pleasure. Had, you've had the pleasure of recording your music with him. Yes, it was an incredible experience. We went up there uh, to Electrical Audio, his studio, for about a week. And, um, you know, he's got, a, he's got a reputation as being prickly and difficult and all this kind of crap. Uh, that wasn't our experience at all. He was a very pleasant gentleman who works hard and um, lets you do what you do. And, and you can't talk about shellac without talking about Bob Weston and Todd Trainer. Just yes. the... One of the most kick-ass rhythm sections to ever play together. Todd Trainer specifically as a drummer. Uh, I mean, I you just that's how drums are played, if you ask me. Oh yeah, and um, that guy's a, a, a machine. Uh, and their live shows are awesome. They're they're kind of silly, and but you know, again, as a group, they don't suffer fools. They'll let you have it if you're being obnoxious and stuff. I don't know. It's a great album and it's a great song, and um, you should check it out. Are that's they also, still together? I'm sorry. Also, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, they're. Uh, in, in, in that true style of they just do things their way, they don't talk about breaking up. They're still together. They'll always be together. It's, um, yeah, I, I hear they've got a new album coming in the next couple of years. Okay. That's all they ever talk about when anybody asks. This one also came out in 94. Yeah. I'd never heard this before, and I love it, and I just want to thank you for playing it because... It's a, uh, yeah, hey, man, you bet. Yeah. I had, when, it, when my friend Jeff Woganowski turned me on to it, um, I didn't get it at first. Um, but I couldn't shake it, and it again, it's changed. I, I'm the guy in, in any group of guys. It's like, oh yeah, man, fucking Albanian, it's best. Yeah, you can't you can't with shellac? You know, I love I love well, it's, it. It's you either like it or you don't, and that's what I told Freddie. Yeah. You're either gonna love this or hate it or think it's okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's very angular. It's very heavy bass rhythm. It's very even tinny, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, the they, guitar yeah. sound is they very use tinny. specific types of guitars and recording methods to get that sound and i i normally can't stand that tone mm-hmm. but on this it really works yeah they play the aluminum instruments yeah yeah and, and it, it kind of shines through it has that bright tenny tone yep. and it's i think in my mind that's what albini's kind of known for he's just got a specific idea and i think any other producer handling this would make it sound like garbage yeah it, would, it wouldn't play it wouldn't work and it would just be irritating to listen to but on this, especially, I have the vinyl, and it just, it's so warm, and it just, it's a great album. But I don't think anybody makes records as good as Steve Albini, and so when he's working on his own band, I think you're getting the very best that you can get from analog recording. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like so, that Pull the Cup song, that, oh, the, yeah. the rhythm sack, the bass and drum work in that is exquisite. And it even reminded me a little bit of Helmet, which I think he had worked with as well. But just from that, just that we were talking about that tinny drum sound. Mm-hmm. Have oh, you yeah. heard these guys before? I had not heard them. Yeah, mm-hmm. Freddie. So what did you think about Chalak? Well, I told you earlier. I don't. It immediately brought to mind Fugazi. And, yes. Uh, I think because of the angularness of it, I did really like the drum sound, which is something I found out that Steve Albini is kind of known for is yeah. the big booming drum sound. But like uh, you said, Scott, I just I didn't get this, and I don't know if I, I need to listen to it more. I didn't know which song you were wanting us to listen to, so I just went with the first one, which is My Black Ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. <laughs> and, you know, and, and again, it's, it's like uh, some of the songs you're talking about that open the album. I, I think it's just a perfect sort of 
what's up world, here we are kind of start. Mm-hmm. It's a great intro to this album. Yeah. No, I thought they were definitely very musically proficient, but it just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I couldn't get into it. Um, it took me a couple I, of listens to get into it, and I don't know if I fully got it, but I love it. Well, right. see, and you know, again, like I was saying, the first time I heard it, I was just kind of like, Jeff, what is this? Yeah. What are, you, what are you playing for me? And then it just, it stuck. We were talking about it. He was showing me YouTube videos uh, the other day. Uh, Chris was, and uh, I was just like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, and they're a three-piece. So mm-hmm. three, mm-hmm. Yeah, ultimate power trio, man. Yeah. yeah. Great. The fact that you're getting that much sound out of three guys. Yep. And wasn't he also in the band Big Black? Uh, he was in Big Black. Rape Man. Um, Rape Man. Yeah. And by and large, just spends his days recording. I'd always heard about their album, and cover your ears, children, songs about f- Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why I've heard of that. I mean, the cover is, I've always seen that cover, and I've always heard about it in, like, lists of albums you need to check out but yeah. I've never is, would you recommend that as well or Big Black's a, uh, is, is a totally different thing um, their drummer is a machine named Roland it's it's a it's a lot more sort of um, an industrials actual yeah an actual <laughs> machine called Roland um, kind of more industrial right it's a lot more industrial a lot more uh, just pummeling uh-huh. and um, a lot more abrasive than shellac shellac still has some pretty good songwriting some melody there um, Bob Weston sings a lot of the shellac songs, but with Big Black, it's all Albini. It's a lot more abrasive, and it, it's uh, it's a lot more of a reflection of his youthful sort of fu attitude. Right. Working at Sound Warehouse, one thing I remember about Big Black was that they constantly made us cover. We have to get black tape and cover <laughs> all the, when the CD would come in. We have to cover it up so no one could see the cover. Wow. Yeah, I, that was my introduction to them. I saw the album. I was like. Big black songs about fucking, and you just see that like big as shit. On the we album. put it on like after what? When we closed, we put that son of a bitch on, and it was great. I was like, well, I gotta find out more about this. That's the one thing I did like that first song, my black ass. Like lyrically, it just seems very silly, and I wasn't expecting. Yeah, that. yeah, that's the thing. Everybody, you know, you a lot of people read uh, some of the old journalism that, that Albini did, or read some of the old interviews where he just speaks his mind. Uh, with both middle fingers in the air kind of thing, doesn't give a shit. And uh, he's, you know, at this point, you know, he's over 50 years old and right. um, settled into his thing. And, and now you brought up they a are point. silly. Can, can I ask you, yeah. are you a lyrics guy? Do you do lyrics make or break a song for you? They don't make or break a song, but, uh, you know, I, I don't, I never learn lyrics. Okay. You know, I just, I don't, I don't know what that is. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was interesting when I guess probably Albini's most famous work Nirvana's in utero Mm -hmm. he got a lot of flack from the record (coughs) company because his mixing often puts the vocals at a lower volume than what most people are used to it's true and he just was completely in defiance of trying to raise it up to what a normal level would be well that's why they had someone (coughs) else come in and produce Heart Shaped Box which was their the single single. Mm -hmm. huh well, you know, that's this whole thing, producer versus recording. When, when you go into the, the studio there, um, it's, it's a museum of awesome microphone shit. And that's kind of the thing you're getting when you pay the very reasonable price to record with this legend, is it's, the, it's all about the mic placement in the specific room. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the lowered vocals are kind of a trademark, but the, his thing is, is if you hire me to record this album, you're going to get this album the way I want to record it. And, uh, you know, he's not really into taking notes from dudes in suits looking for a hit. That's what I said. He has a very specific 
idea of what he wants to record and how he wants to do it. Yeah, I, I, I would say that by and large, the way he would prefer to do it is to just, you know, put the mics where he thinks they're going to sound best in the room, in the studio that he's built. And But then, other than that, it's up to you. If you suck, your record's going to suck. If you've practiced, it's going to sound good. Yeah. yeah. One final question yes. for you, Scott. Since you have recorded with the guy, if you could record with him again and pay the same amount of money, or and or you could record with Butch Vig for the same amount, which one would you choose and why? I would choose to go back to Steve Albini at Electrical Audio because the man has made some of my favorite records of all time. And uh, I feel like, and now it's a chicken and egg thing, because, like, my sensibility is very informed by that. So, to me, his records sound right. And, again, it's a little obsessive because it's like, oh, you know, it's, it's yeah, hero yeah. worship a little bit. Um, but I would choose to spend a week with him than, than someone whose work is a little more, I guess, uh, God, I don't know why I wouldn't. No, nah, man, I just want to go to Chicago. Because, and... <laughs> you know, you'll walk in there and it's like shellac's gear is just sitting there. And so, to a guy like me that loves shellac, yeah, it's yeah. just you know, it's inspiring when you're making your stuff to know that, like, oh, man, these dudes practice here. Yeah. You know? So um, take that, Butch Vig. You're not getting any of Scott's <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, right? You're garbage. I'm sure Butch Vig oh. is that. Oh. <laughs> Very nice. Well done, sir. Speaking of garbage, Freddie, what's your next pick? <laughs> right on. So, Freddie, you decided to go with an album that was only four months old. And yes. I thought he was dead. You thought who was dead? Luther. Yeah. Man, Luther. <laughs> Luther was great. <laughs> Vandross, Vandross, the donut hamburger yeah. guy. <laughs> Damn. The donut hamburger no, guy. No, guys, <laughs> this is a four-piece out of Philly. Heart oh, attack. Oh, shit. Oh, oh. Different, different. Okay, so, Freddie, what is your pick? So, I'm going to be honest here, and I am shoehorning this in because we did not get to talk about best of 2012. We were going to do a show on that, and... I really wanted to talk about these guys. They're one of these bands that kind of came out of nowhere last year for me. And What song are we listening to? The song I chose from the album, Let's Get You Somewhere Else, is called Heavy Money. guys through a band that I've talked about a lot on the podcast previously, the Menzingers. Uh, they're, they're on the Bouncing Souls record label, Chunk Saw, I think is how you say that. Um, this, they get a lot of comparison to Bouncing Souls, and I, I just wonder if it's because they're on the same label. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, Smoking Popes is another one that they get a lot that I thought John might hear. Um, I thought this would appeal to John because it has that, they have that early 90s sound similar mm-hmm. to... I actually wrote, reminds me of early Buffalo Tom, Lemonheads, and the horse they rode in on era Soul Asylum before they sold out. 
and maybe even Hootenanny era replacements. Yeah, and then the Cheap Girls, the band that yeah. you've previously played, they have a similar vibe to that. And this is nothing new, and I'm not going to you know, try to be like Scott and play something that's so groundbreaking. I mean, this is just fun. <laughs> it's just this fun music. I, I hope these guys, they haven't toured through here since this album has came out. I was kind of pissed about it because they came out with limited edition vinyl for the tour. With I'm, a belt buckle? And I'm a nerd about that stuff, <laughs> and I wanted to buy it, and I couldn't get it. Um, but this hopefully they'll be coming vinyl. through here and, vinyl. And this year, 2013. Uh, the only complaint about this album I have is the album cover is just not good. I don't know if you guys saw it. No. It's oh, like with a, the it's, two... There's two kids yeah, standing. Yeah. It looks weird and photoshopped, and it looks like some ad for, like, help the, ch- yeah. the, the children. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I did. I thought that was just some generic cover of something. That was their actual... That's the album cover. Wow, that's shite. Yeah. And I don't know if the the title <laughs> is Let's Get You Somewhere Else is trying to get a, ba- a child out of a bad situation or what the symbolism is there. But musically, it's fun, uh, especially this track, uh, Heavy Money, just really... I, the first time I heard it, I immediately was like, you know, I'm into this. This song was one of the highlights from the album for me, too. Yeah. Heavy, yeah, heavy Money like was. Too. I also like The Glory Bees. Uh, the Second Star was a good one, too. I liked this album a lot more than I thought I would. Really? I did too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did too, man. I really, I started out and I was like, man, whatever, just, you know, punk, punk kind of blah, blah. But then I started listening more and more and I thought, you know, I really kind of want to listen to this a few more times. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a lot, it was a lot catchier than I was expecting. Uh, it did remind me a lot of, uh, you were saying like the 90s sound. There was a band called Mineral that I don't know if you... Anyone that rings a bell. Mineral. They they were around for a little while, and it, 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 his singing kind of, uh, and, and just some of their guitar work reminded me of them. If you if you haven't checked them out, I bet you would like them too. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Jason, what did you think of these guys? I, I really like the song Heavy Money. I, I like the opening guitar riff, and um, wasn't super high on the vocals, <laughs> but it was fine. It didn't really bother me. I mean, all in all, favorable. Okay, Scott? It didn't really bother me. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's great. We've got a long <laughs> history of Freddie bashing on the show, and so... Well, I have a short history of apparently not doing my Freddie research because <laughs> I don't know. I, I briefly... I briefly with this band, and I uh, didn't. I didn't give it. I was fine with it. Um, <laughs> how obvious is it that I didn't listen to this? <laughs> Freddie, I feel like I've slighted you. It, it's uh, it's not. Any... So would you say you liked it? <laughs> Man, I bet I might or wouldn't. Um, I oh. mean, I'm gonna trash your Jesus, no. your Jesus lizard. Uh, Just wait. It, it'll be easier too. Um, <laughs> but I promise to. But for the next time I see you and I've heard this song, and we will have a two-minute conversation about it, and then uh, I wait that day. We'll make our own podcast yeah. next we'll, Saturday. We'll record that separately. Yeah. And I record- honestly, honest to God, I thought it really was going to be Luther Vandross, and <laughs> um, I was like, "Damn, Freddie's got the crazy all over the place." Dad, uh, Seriously, taste I can and talk shit. for hours. Let's just talk about Luther Vandross. Seriously, I've listened to about as much Luther that Luther as I've mi- I listened to this Luther. <laughs> but it is funny though because we could do a whole other show about. Albums that we didn't talk about. <laughs> yeah. Luther Vandross is one of them. It's true. Yeah, or Luther Campbell. Oh, Two Live Crew, I can talk right. about. Yeah, me too. Because um, 90s. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I, the big takeaway from my experience today with OTL number 14 is um, I'm realizing how much I haven't listened to new stuff in a long time. And I think it's cool that you picked something current that really made yeah. an impression on you. Yeah. yeah, and these guys are completely under the radar. I mean, no one is really talking about them, which I, I was kind of... It sucks because they came out 
This was an uh, October 2012 release, and I mean. And what label is it? You said. It's, it's owned by Bouncing Souls. It's called Chunksaw. Chunksaw. I, I don't know how you say that. C H U N K S A A H. Yeah. Chunksaw. We'll yeah. go with it. Chunksaw. Yeah. So I mean, I, I hope these guys. I mean, the, the band name is unfortunate. The album cover is unfortunate. <laughs> But I don't know. I think these guys are great. They have definitely have a talent for writing catchy songs, and I hope to see them live soon. Speaking of seeing a live show, Jason, have you ever seen a little band called Massive Attack? No, I haven't, but um, I would like to talk about Massive Attack. I will permit you to do so. <laughs> well, that's I've unfortunate. Seen... What a fantastic segue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Freddie working his ass off. Freddie. <laughs> Freddie's the king of the segue. He is the king of the segue. Let's talk about Massive Attack's first album, Blue Lines, and let's take a listen to Five Man Army. Go! Five-man army. Yeah. I'll be the guy in the army that forgot his gun. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, I like your gun. I just didn't, I, I didn't bring my gun. Um, I, I didn't promise I'll bring my gun next time and we'll talk about it. I'll be guns. the guy with the newest gun. <laughs> yeah. Nice. The one that works. John will just fire blanks. Oh, oh way. <laughs> I got a kid. <laughs> Sorry. So, so we know it's worked <clears throat> once. Massive attack. Why did you pick this album? Well, first of all, this had nothing to do with... I didn't even know John was going to go with Portishead, okay? But this is really the first big album to come out of that Bristol, England trip-hop sound. Some even call it the Bristol sound. Bristol Mm -hmm. sound, yeah. Basically, I've always loved this album. It's very different from what I I would normally listen to. I love the beats. It's really heavy on the reggae, which I'm not high on, but I don't know. It just seems to kind of work here. Well, most people know them for mezzanine. Yeah, yeah. Quintessential record. That album had Angel and Teardrop and yeah, all all the all the popular songs. But this featured the great Tricky, who I have seen, who's in the song. Yeah, I like Tricky. Uh, He's he's pretty interesting. He's an interesting. He kind of has that not necessarily singing, not necessarily uh, not necessarily speaking. He works with a lot of different artists too. Well, not to get away from that, but I mean uh, that album Blowback is one of my favorite records. I mean, they, uh, this album just kind of started that. started like the whole Portishead and Tricky and Martina Topley Bird and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just really got heavy into trip hop when it came out and I don't think it's all that popular anymore. I don't know, but I just I love it. This one came out in 1991, mm-hmm. a yeah. few years before mm-hmm. the Portishead album. So this one is generally considered to be one of, if not the first trip hop album. Right. With the slowed down beats and the, the samples and the Kind of bluesy influence. Yeah, kind of the jazzy um, yeah. influence there. 
Scott, what did you think? Uh, I've never been a huge Massive Attack fan. Um, I like it. I like this shit. Uh -huh. I'm a fan of Tricky's work, and obviously we've talked about Portishead. Again, when I think Massive Attack, when I think of this album and these songs, it, it's always just like the cool girl in glasses that's listening to this stuff while I'm like butched out with electric guitars in the corner, <laughs> yeah, yeah. not broadening my horizons. So these songs to me sound like parties. They sound like, uh, again, it's one of those sort of, like I'll never be cool enough to really appreciate it because let's rock y'all. That kind of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you a little bit. Uh, this is a band that I really probably should be into a lot more than I am. Yeah. I mean, I like them and I like what they've done and I appreciate them, you know, for starting this whole genre. But I, I've just never really gotten just way into these guys. I like this album. I like Tricky's work after this more. I like Portishead more. But I like that they started trip hop. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those moments for you, I assume, where it was just, okay. Yeah, well, shit just got different. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty. Now what? Yeah, and what came after that? I like a lot more than this. I don't like you talking about the reggae part of it, where you say you're not a big reggae guy, which is weird because I don't know. if It's a podcast somebody can see, but you have dreads down your butt. I do, I do. <laughs> and um, how did did you like reggae uh, more after this? Did well, actually, I off? was inspired by Drexel from True Romance, which is why I have uh, the dreads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You look, it's spinning image. I never put it together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I didn't wow. need to absolutely <laughs> no, kill the podcast. Now, interesting, you talk about uh, the Bristol aspect of it. Well, Portishead, <laughs> Jeff Barrow from Portishead. Yes. Yeah. He actually was around this record when it was being recorded. And he basically, when they had downtime, that's when he got to get in there and work on some of the Portishead stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so he was. I thought you meant he was just kind of hanging out in the in the like the snack room. He was. He was yeah. sneaking in uh, yeah. completely. Yeah. And he get a zero bar. Yeah, Nena Cherry apparently was yeah. uh, the, uh, was the reason that this album was financed. Really, really, yeah. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the Buffalo Stance. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Huh. It's pretty Nana strange. Cherry. Yeah. Interesting. But she was a main reason that this album was even made. That's the shit you learned. And learn. I think you're probably the first person to say Nana Cherry in <laughs> seven years. Probably so. Actually, yeah. she had this like interesting jazz album that came out last year. Not hmm. bad. No shit. Yeah, seriously. Check it out, kids. You heard it here first. Okay, so one of the tracks on this album, Lately, the beat on that. Nine Inch Nails took that for Closer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Freddie, did you have something to say? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I did, while I said I did like the trip-hop of Portishead, I, for Massive Attack, I, just, I couldn't get into it. I, I think it was more like the rap aspect of it. I just couldn't appreciate that. Yeah. I did appreciate that they rhymed lyrical with satirical with spherical, with circle. But did he say circle? No. He said <laughs> circle. Interesting. Bold. Bold yeah, choice yeah. for 1991 to yeah. get away with that one. I had no idea that uh, one of Massive Attack's songs, Angel, has been in apparently like 20 different movies, including Darren Aronofsky's Pie. Yeah, anytime they have a slow movie. motion scene, they'll put that in there. Oh, really? Yeah, huh. I, I think it's law. Yeah. It's the Wilhelm scream of our generation. Yes, yes. <laughs> You don't see that so you're saying this. you weren't down in it? Oh, I wasn't. Maybe he was up above it. Speaking <laughs> of... So the album I went with for my second pick is Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. You're listening to Head Like a Hole.
Machine. This was released in October of 1989. So this is technically an 80s album. And just to blow your mind a little bit, the things that were ruling the airwave when this came out, Richard Marks, Paul Abdul, New Kids on the Block, Janet Jackson. My Holy dream podcast, crap. basically. Yeah. Mm. So let that marinate for a minute. I think uh, I was in a self-induced coma during that time. Quaaludes, bro. Yeah. yeah. So the reason I chose this album is because, to me, it is another one of those perfect albums that you can just put on, listen to, not skip a song, and let it let it just repeat, you know, and, and just listen to it over and over, which I have done. I've worn out the cassette, I've, I've had this CD, it's a, it's a great album, it's one of my favorite albums, and one of my favorite Nine Inch Nails albums. How did you get exposed to Nine Inch Nails? Because for me, it was the downward spiral. I remember that album just being everywhere and somehow my dad knew someone who worked for a record company I remember I, he, I got the copy of that that had the barcode like scratched out uh-huh, yeah. and I remember just being like that was, that album had a huge impact but this one I guess was just before my time so how did you get exposed to this album? I really at the time I liked some of the industrial music like Ministry and Skinny Puppy the bands that I think were highly influential was, to Nine Inch Nails, but never really got the same recognition or the same, yeah. you know, didn't enjoy the same success as like Nine Inch Nails did. Why do you think that? Why do you think? Uh... I don't know. I don't know if Ministry is a little more abrasive and Skinny Puppy is just a little too weird, noisy. But I know that Trent Reznor had in mind he wanted to write a harsh pop song. And so I think it's so as he took that approach. It, you know, Al Jorgensen from Ministry has always been kind of thumbing his nose at, at structure. Yeah. And I think what Reznor did in the you know the early you know the group was was to make melodic industrial music, make it accessible. What I remember about this album was I was working again with my Sound Warehouse stories. Um, in Waco, did you work Texas. at Sound Warehouse? <laughs> I did. Seriously, I was a cool guy. You know. I want a story of you working at Furs or something yeah. like that. I'll tell you what, Sound Warehouse guy is the guy that turned me on to Fugazi. Yeah. Could have been you. It could have been. In Waco, Texas? Okay, North of Jones. Yeah, wow. And he was <laughs> like a close. black guy with dreads. That's him. Yeah. That's John yeah. Piazza. Oh, I had Jackson. very long hair. All of us actually have dreads. You can't tell if you're listening to yeah. this. <laughs> but I remember we got Sounds this horrible. cassette in. <laughs> from, uh, and it was just a sampler cassette. And it said, all it was black and it had... Down in it, and it had head like a hole, nine inch nails. I still have it to this day. Yeah, in my collection. That's a collector's item. Mm-hmm. Man, apparently it took him like 15 minutes to write this song, head like a hole. Yeah, it wasn't on the original demos that he sent out to uh, to try to get a, a record deal. And yeah, this one was written very fast. Yeah. He seemed like he was doing, you know, working every angle to get recorded. He was. He was going to do it all himself. He was. Well, know. he was working as a janitor mm-hmm. at the sound studio that he kind of. He asked the uh, the owner of the studio there, can I come in on downtime and record some of the stuff I want to do for a demo? He's like, yeah, it's not going to cost me anything, so go ahead. So was this, Where was this? In, like Cleveland or Cincinnati? Uh, it was Cleveland, or? I think. Yeah. 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 You know, you couldn't get this on iTunes for a long, long time. Right. Uh, it Just recently. So, uh, you know, you, you get in those moods where like, oh, I should try to find... He had a blow up with TBT. Yeah. So... Yeah, this was out of print for quite a while. Yeah. And it's just recently been reissued. Uh, the reason I, I wanted to go with this album is because I think it really made industrial music more accessible to the mainstream. Oh, yeah. And it, it really kind of opened doors for a lot of other artists that maybe wouldn't have been exposed otherwise. 
Like stabbing westward. Yeah, no shit. Wow. Who's <laughs> wow. on tour with Nana Cherry? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been a long time since somebody's thought of us tour. <laughs> I had no idea that the the band name Nine Inch Nails was from a ministry, something that, that their singer had said. Did you, did you guys know that? No. Uh-uh. It was at a concert. He said, listening to ministry is like driving Nine Inch Nails into your ears or something like that. And that's where he got the name from. Really? Huh. That's interesting. It's from a ministry, like a live taping of one of their shows or huh. something. And they, everyone always thought it was something to do with Christ or had some type of symbolic yeah. huh. uh, meaning. I remember hearing all that crap as a kid with, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, the nails through the wrist and all yeah. that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh, I didn't know that. Uh, this was, uh, we've mentioned this before about previous songs. This was on the 9-11 No playlist after 9-11. Was it? Stations couldn't this particular song. song had like a hole? Had was? like a hole, yes. Wow. Why? What was the... I want to die, I will give you control. I'd like, I mean, the lit man, of course. Well, I mean, other than all the really obvious shit. But I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> why, Freddie? <laughs> I really I know like... that the last line of the song is like, take my airplanes, crash them into your... Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, you might be thinking of Devo's cover of this song from the Supercop soundtrack. Oh, that, it could be, yeah. Yeah, that one's that's, really... That's what it is, yeah. Super that's, that's you really Chan. are the yeah. king of the segue, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one thing listening to this album that just... It sounds like an 80s album, and there's no escaping it. Like you said, you hit the nail on the head, but this is an 80s yeah. album. That drum sound... Hmm. It's just so 80s, and like I just—that's why to me, like this is a good album. But like, he really came in like to his own with pretty I mean, the downward spiral. But do you think? Do you think you notice that more? And I, and I know I ask you this a lot because you're a drummer. I, that's all I could hear is that snare. I was just like, oh man, yeah, that is quite a snare. <laughs> okay, okay. Could, so maybe yeah. That, and there was, that was another thing about one of the. Um, but he's recording this on like the MacBook One or some or yeah. Mac some like it. I mean, doing this nowadays is nothing. You can just sit down behind a computer terminal, point, click, add loops, done. When he was doing this, this is a pretty big feat of engineering. Right. But definitely, I mean, he's a, he's a classically trained musician and, spe- and you know, just super talented. And he might even be able to play the hell out of a guitar he, like those guys in, uh, in that band Television, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this is the hottest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> Freddy's segues. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So speaking of television, John. Speaking of television. I'm glad you brought that up, Freddie. So, John, you obviously went with television. Which album? I went with uh, Marquee Moon, and I went with the title track, Marquee Moon. This one is, uh, what is it, 10 minutes and 40 seconds. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great because when they recorded this originally, the drummer thought they were just practicing. So he didn't know that they weren't playing this for real to record. So he was just kind of doing his own thing. And they're like, great, keep it. Oh, this is almost so like progressive rock meets post-punk in a way. I mean, it was such a 
def- I, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't surprise me that it had no success on the charts at all. This because... was released in early 77. Right. So the, that's, that's interesting because these guys, for some reason, always get lumped into the whole New York City CBGB, CBGB uh, right. uh, Blondie, Talking Heads, uh, Ramones kind of scene. But uh, in all honesty, I had never heard this album before. I had heard of television. I you know, knew that they were a thing. But I had never heard this album. Yeah, it's one of the, it's one of those bands like Freddie was saying earlier. I think with with the shellac stuff, was like, well, or Big Black, where you you get your lists and you know you're supposed to hear this stuff, but how do you get through those lists? And yeah, I can see television being one of those bands. Of, yeah, yeah. Someone turned me on to this, and it was probably like the early '90s. I think was the first time I heard it. But I really loved. The, I liked the way Verlaine played Tom Verlaine. And Richard Lloyd, I really like his style of guitar playing. Mm-hmm. It, he just has, and, there, and you can hear it in the album. I mean, there's two very distinct solos within this this Marky yes. Moon song, and uh, they work very well together. Yeah, and it, exactly. It's, it's and I a, think the drums, I think, the, I think, just the band as a total, as a whole, were just on. You know, Richard Hell was in television right. before this, and they kicked him out of the band because he could not play this song. Right. Well, because it advanced. At live shows, they would play this song, and it changed, and it evolved, and yeah. he did not evolve. They did have some sort of that jammy aspect that I yeah. usually don't like, but I really did enjoy in, in this album. And uh, honestly, this is my pick of the week. Really? I know. I know we're not pro. Oh yeah, we're not man. Doing we're not doing. Pick, we're not doing. You get a pick, pick of the week. week? We're, well, we're not. Normally, we do, but I know we're not. But this is for me the highlight. This is one of the reasons I'm glad that we do this show because it exposed me to this album, which mm-hmm. I otherwise might have just not gotten to. Fantastic album. You know, yeah. it's a great album. It's a great album. So I, I, I really like this. And Another song on here. Did you listen to Elevation? I listened to the whole one thing. thing. The one yeah. thing about Elevation I really liked. Is when you hear the opening of it, it sounds like the lead-in. I don't, you know, me and Pink Floyd. Are you going to say? Oh, okay. Go ahead. I was going to say. Not a certain. Sounds like Greg Kinn. The yeah, breakup song. That, that's what that right. At, the lead oh, into yeah. that sounds like Pink Floyd's "Pigs," the uh, three different ones, and then as it exits that, and you can kind of hear that bass line fading, it kicks into that weird little down that Greg Kinn breakup song, yeah. which he. Totally had to. There's no way he didn't hear this and completely lift it. There's no way. This was number three on Pitchfork Media's list of best albums of the 70s. I know how you love Pitchfork. Yeah. Well, I mean, they get some things right occasionally. Okay. I never heard this album all the way through. I'd heard a a few songs off of it and I liked them. But um, so I I was really glad to have the opportunity to actually sit down and listen to this. Mm -hmm. And I love it, man. It's just got this uh, great flow to it. One of my favorite, how is it? Is it New Music Express? Is that the name of it? Enemy. Yeah. yeah. One of their reviewers said Marquee Moon is to the 70s what the Velvet Underground and Nico was to the 60s. They were. They sound like they were very influenced by the Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. And one of the people that I hear, when, when I hear Stephen Mountmas, I hear elements of television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a weird sort of strange uh, sideways lineage through uh, a lot of the bands that we've talked about today. Just And, and I feel like somewhere in there, Sonic Youth's in there, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, just totally that twin that. guitar fury, yeah. you know. Television's great. I really yeah. about Freddie. Yeah. What does Freddie have to say? Like Scott was saying, um, one of the bands I've always heard about mentioned in the same breath as all the New York 70s punk you know, bands and Blondie and all that. I th- want to say I've listened to these guys previously and they're just one of the, like, I heard a song and I'm like, not for me. So then, you know, when you said, all right, listen to this 10 minute long Marky Moon <laughs> song, turned it on, few mi- I got like four minutes in and I was like, this is good. I like this. And then I realized, 
I'm only four minutes into this, and there's six more minutes of this. Why is this happening? What have I done to deserve this? I picked it mainly because of you. Not for me. I didn't hate it, but my two notes are one, guitar solo wank off spectacular. Yeah. I don't care for that. Trademark Freddy. And then two, rain, Cadillac, graveyard. I can see why John likes the lyrics or likes the song. That's mainly what he's right. talking about. Is Anything that talks about death. And yeah. yeah. Scott, you look like you want to say something. No, I'm just enjoying the hell out of this. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm, I'm listening. This is, this is fun. So very dark subject matter. Um, I did listen to another song that I liked a lot more. I think it's the first song off the album, See No Evil. Mm-hmm. Three minutes, 53. I can respect that length. Okay. I bet you would have liked later on they, re, uh, ref, they were reformed. They had that song, Call Mr. Lee. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Good song. Really good. No. I think I read that the, one of the guys in this band is working with them. That guy James Eha from Smashing Pumpkins mm. recently. That's what he's. Been, I was like, what are these guys doing now? Are they still around? And I was like, he's working with the guy from Smashing Pumpkins. Interesting. Oh. All right. Hang on. Well, Tom Berlane, I think, also did some production work. I think. I'm not positive about that. But Berlane is one of those guys that. He's the guitarist, guitar, guitarist, guitarist, yeah. guitarist. Yeah, he's whatever. he's reached this this new level of sort of like you don't question, you right. just go with it, and it's cool because he's who he is. Exactly. Know? Another, I don't know if it's interesting, but it was to me their album cover. The photo was taken by Robert Maplethorpe. Oh yeah, oh, that does. Yeah. You know what? That doesn't surprise me at all. No, it's pretty strange. Yeah, yeah, because um, these guys were all friends, and Patty well, Smith, yeah, and yeah. heads, all the yeah, back these then. guys are all connected. Speaking of connection. Freddy, sir. <laughs> not as good. I'm, uh, I'm, segues no, I'm nowhere Freddy. near Freddy's. You know, leg. I'm having an operation this month. <laughs> um, Getting that ivy pulled out of your butt, are we? <laughs> yes. Uh, Just finally, yeah. it's taking over yeah. the room. Strange that you say that. It's getting tangled in my dreads. Freddy, what was your third album pick? Third. Third pick. Third pick. Oh, we're already on to third picks. What do you mean already? Yeah, I've been here for as long as nine hours. Yeah, no kidding. I, what was your third pick? Third pick was Operation Ivy's album Energy from 1989, The Birth of Ska Core. Uh, this, uh, uh, the song I wanted to play for you guys is Freeze Up. Fun, dancey. This album has 19 tracks in 36 minutes. Do the math. That's awesome. I don't know, man. I think uh, because there were so many tracks that I went into this thing already hating it, and for that I apologize. Uh-huh. I just kind of had that in my mind. Uh-huh. Uh, so I was listening to this, and I was like, 
Yeah, it's good, but it sounded so much better back when the specials did it. Oh, yeah. burn! <laughs> yeah. the, so. the specials weren't playing with the speed and the like, no, lyrical. They they're like this. The Jesse Michaels, who we previously talked about on the podcast, the singer of this band, it also did classics of love. If you remember from early, yeah, yeah, early yeah. show, yeah. I, I talked about Operation Ivy then. Um, yeah, I mean, like lyrically, it's I mean, it's much better than the specials in my opinion. And what year did this come out? 89. Same year as Head Like a Hole. Yes. Wow. I mean, just look at that. Yeah. There's a great lyric in Freeze Up that says, it's 1989, stand up and take a look around. And I used to try to cover this when I was a teenager in 1999, and I was like, we have to change it. It's 1999, stand up and take a look around. It's very progressive, Yeah. But then 2009 came around, and that doesn't have the same. It's Uh, 2009. uh, That doesn't work. Yeah, Mm. you should probably just scrap that idea. It's 2019. Uh, It's over. I'm 49. See, it works. I actually contemplate suicide while listening to this album. But he does that all the time. This is nothing. He's like, oh, I'm doing laundry. I should kill myself. (laughs) I like it just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Might be time to. Might be time to. I mean, no, I. I, I, Oh, shit, I need butter. I was going (laughs) to totally like. It's easier to kill yourself than it is to go to the store. I was totally gonna find some hemlock, you know, do it like Socrates, and but no, uh-huh. <laughs> didn't. But I got close, made it through though. I did. Uh, I listened did. to this entire album, um, and the the low points to me were all of it. All, I, there were a lot of low points, but just because I don't really like the ska core kind of punk scene, mm-hmm. I'm just so burned out about it. I, I don't know what it is. I, I just can't get into it. Uh, but what if it was 1989? Would you have responded to it? Probably not. Uh, I just, I don't know. There's just so many times I can hear that janky, 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 janky guitar and just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of oi music. Uh, the high points for me, jaded, uh, warning, no. Take warning? Yes, take warning, uh, bank shot, this song, freeze up. But I don't know. I I felt like listening to this album was kind of like being forced to mow the yard after you went out all night before and had a bender and you were all drunk and hung over and you really just wanted to pay somebody else to do it but you didn't have the money to and you just were forced to that's kind of the way I felt like after like after a point I was like I've got 17 more songs to go what yeah it was just kind of a beat down for me I see where you dig it and where it's influenced a lot of your listening yeah Um, and I'm not knocking it I'm just saying that I don't know man it sounds like you're knocking it okay I am a little bit I am knocking it but it's because I don't I don't get it. I don't like it. It's not my scene. Right. See, I, I love mean, original it, ska, but, because you know, I want to be a ska dancer. Yes. I think we've talked about this. Yes. Okay. And suicide. <laughs> those things. So, but no, I don't think I could dance to this. I just I couldn't. Sorry. Uh, it's, it's interesting with a lot of the albums that we've picked and like how you almost glorified the stuff you grew up on when you're 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, and if I heard this album now, would I still have the love for it that I that I do? Mm-hmm. And I probably wouldn't, and I, I don't know if, that's the thing with, like, Led Zeppelin that we're going to talk about in a little bit, like, I just cannot, I appreciate them, I understand that they were super influential, and but just like, I mean, well, let me not say just like, but similar to Operation Ivy in the respect that a lot of bands copied their yeah. style. That's true, and, and maybe that's where I'm coming from, because... When I was 20, 21, and I had the nightclub, 
We had endless amounts of bands that came through sounding like Operation Ivy was their favorite band in the entire world. Assorted Jelly Beans. Assorted Jelly Beans, yeah, that's that's one of them. And, and, you know, just, so I saw this almost night after night, and it was just honestly a, a beatdown of sorts. So maybe if I had listened to it with a fresh perspective, yeah. I, I would have gotten a little more into it. Gotcha. I'd like to say that I like your other two songs. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Uh, another standout song <clears throat> that from this album is uh, Bad Town, which actually, I think it's a saxophone solo. It's some type of horn, I'm not yes. sure. But that one that stood out to me. I remember um, trying to form a ska band when I was in high school and getting some guy from the band, high school, the high, band. High school yeah. band to yes. be like, okay, listen to this song, Bad Town, from Operation Ivy. Can you play that? The kid's like, finally somebody talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to be in a band. <laughs> What, you can and then see me? The cool thing is he had the trombone and he, you know, has the the, the, the horn part bell. of it, the bell, yeah. and he painted the Scott checkers oh, nice. on the inside of the bell. <laughs> like we are for oh, real now. Just, We're gonna do it. this. And what happened? And it yeah, it fizzled. Oh, so okay. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere, unfortunately. Operation Ivy was one of those bands where when I was figuring out in the early nineties exactly what what I liked and stuff, um, I put Operation Ivy sort of in the same it all blurs together. Them and NoFX, Bad Religion, and the sort of like a the couple queers, years. The, the, yeah, just a couple of years yeah. into the 90s and a couple of years at the end of the 80s. All of that was always in a tape deck in whatever room I was in, unless there was a girl there, and then it was all the trip hop. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trying to tie it all together. Nice. Uh, I never hated or loved any of that stuff. I feel the same way about Operation Obvious. I do NoFX as I do Bad Religion. Um, where it's like, well, at least we're not listening to Foghat, you yeah. know? Which, now that I'm old and tired, I kind of like Foghat. I like Foghat. Yeah. Then Lizzie's, man. Doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so it's from your, your experience. If I never hear another ska song... Oh, wait, did I just miss a segue? <laughs> no. You're right, it's not from my Jimmy Hendrix... Or experience... Um, <laughs> segue, Chris M. Activate. So it's from your experience. Yeah. Oh, John's doing the... John, why don't you talk about Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> How's that for a segue? That's great. It's hey, perfect. you know what? I'm going to throw to Freddie for a segue. <laughs> I wish John's name was Joe. That's a better name for John. He looks like a Joe. No. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe. It, you know, it actually does really work. You look like a Joe. You do. I look like a fucking badass. <laughs> So uh, let's talk about debut albums. I think uh, you can't go along without having Hendrix in there, right? Yeah. A game changer, so to speak. So my pick is Are You Experienced from Jimi Hendrix and the song... The Jimi Hendrix Experience. Yes, sorry. Jimi Hendrix Experience. And the song is Hey Joe. Hey! 
So, uh, Freddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. You That's the best so you've come up with. I want to talk about Jimi <laughs> Hendrix. Toss it to Freddy and make fun of him. That's correct. <laughs> this album was released in May of 1967 in Europe, and then later in August of 1967 in the U.S. Can you imagine sitting in your recessed sofa in the late 60s, early 70s, when Purple Haze comes on with that album? That I'm just... assuming I would have been on a lot of drugs. Yeah. So I... I can kind of picture it. Sounds pretty alright. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at it, it's like almost like a greatest hits album of uh, Hendrix to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Like the majority of his greatest I mean, songs Fox come from Lady, this album. Hey Joe, The Wind Cries Mary, which is probably my favorite song of his. So this song, you, Hey Joe, is one of my favorites. Yeah, I love this choose one too. Hey Joe because That's what I it's a do. cover song. What, you know, why you the reason I picked one? that is because I thought it would flow really nice. Have you ever heard. The, one of the first versions of this song by a garage band called The Leaves. Mm. You should check it out. It's very interesting. It's almost like kind of sped up, like White Stripe style mm-hmm. cover of this, and totally different vibe. Like I think subsequent bands that have covered this have done it in the style of Jimi Hendrix. So you're mm-hmm. so used to hearing it, same tempo, the same mood. But uh, yeah, check out The Leaves version of this. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. That's interesting what she said because it, it makes me think uh, about the uh, All Along the Watchtower thing. Yeah, Dylan. Yeah. Where every, it's a yeah. Jimi Hendrix song. Yeah. And not a Bob Dylan song. Right. Yeah. That's weird. Did you see the guy that has the copyright of this song? His name's Billy Roberts. Uh, he got it copyrighted back in 1962. Hmm. Well, he gave it away as somebody that he was in prison with, mm-hmm. like as a gift. He like gave him the copyright to this song so he'd have money <laughs> when he got out of prison. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. When I listened to this album, I remember having that "Are You Experienced" cover right there in front of me, and I pulled that sucker out and put it on the U.S. And, cover. Yes, the yellow one. Yes. We. I didn't That's live. In, I didn't live in England at that time, and I didn't understand that to be cool, you had to go get imports and stuff. But, but I do remember that. You hey, call Joe. yourself the Sound Warehouse. I know. <laughs> that was all. That was for Tower Records. I mean, they were the import people. I remember hearing that, Hey Joe, listening to that and hearing, I heard you shot your old lady down. And I was like, wow, did they talk about murder? I mean, it really kind of shocked me as like an 11-year-old kid. It's something that's yeah. violent. And, but it sounded so good yeah. at the same time. But uh, this album was just one of those that I wore out. And I stole from my brother. Guitarist Magazine nice. named this the number one most influential guitar album of all time. Wow. Yeah. Number one. Number one. And I can kind of see that because if you think about what was happening and then how Jimi Hendrix just pretty much set the world on fire and embraced the overdriven distortion and really just made something, he created something brand new and just, it it shocked people. I remember uh, reading about when we were talking about uh, the Monterey Pop Festival that was really his kind of introduction to the United States. People were literally shocked by this guy's stage antics and just how he would play with the guitar behind his back and just the overwhelming stage volume and you don't really think about that much now because Jimi Hendrix has always been and always will be. Right, Jimi Hendrix posters are on sale at that weird store in the mall next to the Marilyn Monroe stand-ups and the James Dean posters and it's like no, this guy's a drug fiend criminal yeah. kind of weirdo yeah. violent um, as hell I, I just had to go to another country to become history famous history makes these scoundrels yeah. safe because I like them better yeah. again like like Johnson when you're scared of them in your bedroom because did this guy really kill some f- old lady yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 what does old lady even mean I'm 11 yeah. you know? <laughs> but I know somebody died and yeah. Jimi Hendrix is a freak 
It's uh, very interesting to look at it from that point of view because, I mean, Hendrix is on lunchboxes now or something, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But when you read about him, he, you know, he was a notorious alcoholic, drug addict, and he was violent as hell. And he had, you know, tons of run-ins with people. But when you see him interviewed when he was not high, he was just like the nicest, quietest guy. And it was almost like there were two sides to Hendrix. But I've Sounds never like heard it. anything like that yeah. in my life yeah. at that point. Yeah. And it was interesting. I was reading about, you're talking about the success he, w- he had no success in the U.S. And it, uh, they were talking about Paul McCartney actually insisted on him being included right. at the lineup for Monterey. That's right. Yeah, you know, in, in where he burned his guitar on stage and just became a legend. Yeah. You said you never heard anything like that? There's nothing like that today. No. I mean... I think Stevie Ray got close. I think Stevie Ray had the had the soul of... It was. A, I think he was more of a blues man than, yeah, than totally. Hendrix was. Yeah. But man, Hendrix was cosmic. Yeah, exactly. You know? He transcended anything that was out at that point. But you know, Stevie Ray was more of a, a true bluesman who could yeah. just rip it off, man. Like um, Hendrix created a new tradition that people still follow today, whereas Stevie was sort of in the tradition of those sort of right. Yeah, shit. Yeah. You mentioned the lyrical content of this song, uh, Hey Joe with the killing of the wife. There is one song that came before this that you might be familiar with that touched on similar content. Um, Cocaine Blues, mm-hmm. famously covered by Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. That song originally came out in 1948. So it's crazy to think that, I mean, if you know that song, and talking about right. doing cocaine, shooting up your old lady, and all that kind of stuff. Well, Hank Williams, I mean, did a lot of songs that were pretty, you know... And it was a hit back then. Yeah, it was a hit right. in 48. So. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention, I don't know if you guys saw this about this song, is... Uh, set a Guinness World Record for most people playing it at one time. In Poland, 7,273 people all holding guitars all played the song at the same time. How awful. Oh, my God, that sounds like torture. <laughs> sound good at all. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a fucking beating, man. Yeah. So, and, like, every few years they beat it out. So it started out as, like, two or 3,000. Now it's gotten up to 7,000-something. So. Wow. If you want to join them, head over to Poland. Yeah. Just bring your guitar. <laughs> it's a ride to Poland. Hey, Joe, how about, hey, no. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of no, uh, the, let's see. Jew. Uh, my favorite band is No Doubt. So, <laughs> No Doubt, we'll be talking about No Doubt now. Is it my turn? Yes. Yeah. Are we done with Jimmy? I just want to say uh, the live version of Machine Gun, like the 12-minute one. Yes. Like, they should have stopped making... Rock and roll, yeah. right there. It's no. like, it's like Jesus came down. It is. When I ask you, I, that was really good. <laughs> when I ask you uh, a long time ago, what your favorite song that you would use to describe rock and roll mm-hmm. to someone who had never heard it, that was the song you used. Hands down. Hands down. Yeah. I've never heard anything like. It was recorded. I think was it New Year's Eve of 1969. Yes. Literally the end of an era kind of shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, and he mentions the soldiers fighting in the streets of, so it might have been 68, because he mentions the soldiers fighting in Chicago and in Vietnam. And, and so it's like, I think, tied into the Democratic National yes, Convention yes. that was such a disaster. And that's the thing that I think we gloss over sometimes with the 60s, where, yo, dog, that shit was heavy. It was heavy. <laughs> there was some heavy shit going on. You'd yeah. have to be a lizard living under a f-ing rock not to know about that. <laughs> Oh, I don't know if you guys head. have ever heard about the 60s, <laughs> but it's a real thing, guys. They made movies. It's yeah, not just Oliver Stone movies. It's, it's like a it. real time. Yeah. Sorry about it. This show brought to you by Monster Energy. <laughs> Get out of my head. Which I'm out of.
Freddy. Oh, head. Yes, head. The Jesus <laughs> lizard. Um, now like I feel like so many missed segments. <laughs> <laughs> I got them all, man. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> I feel like I've missed um, uh, a real opportunity here by doing Jesus lizard after shellac because not the same thing at all. But I'm just going to say the same things about Jesus lizard that I say about shellac because. While the Albini ethic, because I was Steve Albini recorded this album, right? While I like Shellac and I like what Steve Albini does, the way that Dwayne Dennison of the Jesus Lizard plays guitar on this album, um, also hugely influential to me. We're going to listen to the song "One Evening." The album opener starts now. Were you purposefully ignoring all the segues I was throwing in? When I said, oh, I'm, like co- a- I'm completely lost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just trying not to tremble in my chair from, I realized that I've had two monsters today, and I've only been here since like 11. 10 or 11. <laughs> it was okay. all the head stuff. No, I said, if you'd have to be a lizard living under a fucking rock, not to oh. that. <laughs> that was yeah, I one. completely <laughs> missed that. <laughs> well, that was great, though. Jeez, yeah. And I play slow. And then pitch, I said something like, yeah. it's like Jesus coming down and blessing. I thought you were just making a segment. commentary on no. like my sort of sort of over enthusiasm for <laughs> Jimmy's machine gun. I'm like, well, I mean, it's it is pretty good, Freddie. It's like a second coming or anything. Oh I got it. So one evening is actually one of my favorite songs. This one and Wax Eater. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Wax Eater. Great songs from this album. Um and the way David Sims plays bass yes. um, is how all bass players should play. Um, That's the way you play bass. That's one of the things yeah. I really liked about your bass playing. Yeah, no, I, I've just been ripping off Jesus Lizard and Shellac <laughs> since around, you know, mid-90s. You told me you could have picked pretty much any debut album on the Touch and Go label. Yes. You would have had a Touch and Go show. 100% true. Yeah. Do you know the Jesus Lizard, Freddie? Did you know? Heard of them. Never, yeah. Not familiar. I chose to listen to the song Killer McCann, mm-hmm. which I, like I think is the last song. That is the last yeah. one. And I, the reason I chose that one is because apparently it's the one they still play live the mm-hmm. most to this day off this album. While the, it is not the song you might be listening to, I'm going to quote some lyrics from it right quick, which cool. are poetry. David Yow, ladies and <laughs> Here we go. His lazy eye, bagging, but sorely. No morsel of spunk had he left. Who? Who was he drained? There you go. That was really well done. Yeah. Was Who? Who was it? I don't know. It's a mystery. David Yao is something else. Um, Have you seen these guys live? Produced by, did you already say, produced by Steve Albini? Produced by, yeah. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, Freddie. Do you mean recorded by Steve Albini? Because, you know, (laughs) Steve Albini humor. Right. Um, Yeah, I saw these guys live. It's punishing and weird. Um, Why do all the vocals sound like this? 
Because David Yao likely has the microphone in his mouth, in, yeah. cupped with his hand. Um, yeah. It's it's more about the sound of the of the sort of per, the percussive nature of the singing than it is. Well, let's not call it singing. Yeah. We can't call it singing. Yeah, I mean, I would have never. I think known. you said vocal styling. Yeah, well, nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I fell in love with the Jesus Lizard, Lizard when I saw them at, I guess, maybe like the second Lollapalooza or some shit. Okay. Um, early in the day, uh, I had heard about them maybe in uh, a magazine, and they come out, and David Yao. Now, let me ask you this. Did he, sta- did he stay on stage more often or less often? No, less often. Because when I saw him, he was on stage maybe half the time. The big thing was he walked out looking like a weird uncle rapist weird. <laughs> he had his shirt off and cowboy boots yes. and uh, he walks out with a six pack of Budweiser tall boys puts him on the drum riser and uh, immediately starts poking his belly out and he's, right. he's he's sort of waving his hands around his belly like it's a crystal ball and, and the band rips into uh, I don't even know what they opened with and he's immediately off the stage at Starplex and the thing that got me the most where I was like that's yeah, guys all right yes was when the song's over and he's on top of you know maybe the hundred people that are there that early their hands right and he says thank you for your support yeah i was like i love this guy i love this band i've never heard bass played like this kind of shit and um yeah i jesus lizard hands down in my top three bands of all time and um it's another thing like i said with the ramones where it's not even about albums at this point it's just it's the massive playlist. Every song they've ever done is on it, and let's just shuffle it because I'm going to love it all. You know? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So, I think a highly overlooked band, especially from the '90s. Mm-hmm. Best well known for their split with Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. Split seven inch, I think it was. Yeah, and they also did uh, Panic and Cicero, which was on the Clerk soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. Hate Kevin Smith, so I don't think about it much. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. trying to start a fight him. there. No, I don't no, know no. how everybody feels about it. Yeah. Apparently Sorry, he's quite the Renaissance guy because he's also like a really great chef. Apparently, oh yeah, artist. Absolutely, David Yao. Um, David Yao had a. I got to play with a band of his a couple years back with my old band, and um, so you can imagine how freaked out I was. But this is, it was a Haley's in Denton, and there's like oh, okay. nine people there, and the band sucked. <laughs> but I'm four feet from David Yao. And uh, so this is epic. But I'm looking at him, he's all he's kind of beat up, and um, you know, still got that shirt off and the yeah. six pack. And it was one of the worst nights of my life because Maddie listened to Jesus Lizard about two years after I saw his band Quee, I think is what they were called play. Mm. Because you know, I'm just like, oh, Mr. Yeah, hey, wow, you're tiny. And also, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And he's like, yeah, no, it's great. Do you have any coke? You know, and, it's, uh, and the guitar player in the band is like, do you have any pills? And and then he's trying to f- my wife, and oh, and, wow. and it's uh, it's like I hate you, David Yao. I hate you. Oh, I hate you sucks. so much. But then, in hindsight, I'm like, man, I got the full David Yao thing <laughs> there. What? I love the Jesus Lizard. That's fantastic. That is quintessentially Jesus. Lizard. That is the Jesus. Lizard. Hey, do you have any drugs? Can I have sex with your wife? Except with like excellent chops on yeah, on strings. yeah, and duct tape mouth vocals. Yeah. Um, what what did, what did you guys what do you like? Jesus I never I never heard this album before. I heard a couple of songs off of uh, Goat. Yeah. Okay. Goat's and a great I, and I liked it and mm. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't like the vocals. It took, <laughs> it took a little. <laughs> I like the music aspect. I listened I, to this thing three times, just yeah? trying to figure it out, and you know, so it grew on me. And yeah, I, really I had some friends it. that were really really into him, and they were going down to you know they're based out of Austin, and they saw him you know down there and stuff, but. 
I never, I just never got it. I think I was going through my Waterboys phase or something. Oh, uh, yeah. At that time, so, you know. They're kind I, of the same. I, yeah, yeah, man, I just, that's, I, I never could have guessed what the opposite of the Jesus lizard is. <laughs> you just nailed it. Right. It's Waterboys. It kind of reminded me a little bit, though, of, and not, not as in full-on craziness, but you remember Course of Empire? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had that kind of swirling, hard-driving, you know, yeah. double drum. I don't know if they had double drum in Jesus Lizard, but... No. It's very... They, uh, the, the, I really like yeah. the rhythm aspect of it. Speaking of double drum, this is actually an honest segue. I mean, if we're good to move on. Led Zeppelin, which is Jason's next pick, went with the song You Shook Me. Yeah. Why the hell <laughs> did you not go with Good Times, Bad Times? That double bass is badass. He's I don't right. love Led Zeppelin, but that <coughs> song and that drum, you know, uh, Freddie's doing his track. Drum, drum fist. Yeah, yeah. he's doing. He's doing it for everyone at home. Yeah. I'm doing the air drums. And Freddie's right. <laughs> F- you, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> you went with a cover song again. What the hell? I was gonna ask why you went with a cover song. We're listening to Led Zeppelin one, uh, the first album. You shook me the song. This album came out in 1969. A lot of people hate this album. Oh, yeah. Just because they feel like Zeppelin plagiarized so many different sources. They did. Took different uh, songs from other people, didn't give them credit for it. Some people think it's the greatest album ever. Discuss. It's one of my favorite albums, and I've said this before. I love it. I I love the blues, uh, particularly in You Shook Me. That's why I went with that. But I really could have gone with any of these songs. So... Good times, bad times, dazed and confused. How many more times? I mean, it, to me, this album is just brilliant. See, I love Babe. I'm going to leave you. I just think, when I think of Led Zeppelin, I think of that overwrought, quiet, almost poetic fantasy world. And that song exudes that. And you've got that all of a sudden lilting, beautiful, and then Bonham coming there and destroying yeah. the studio. That's uh, Honestly, that's one of my favorite Zeppelin songs of all of their songs. Mm-hmm. Because it's got that beautiful acoustic work and then just out of nowhere, Bonham comes in with those tree trunk-like sticks and just kills it with mm-hmm. that huge rhythm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song. Chris and I were talking a few days ago about <coughs> Rolling Stone just hated this album. Yeah. They, just, they gave it a review just butchering it. Haven't they gone back... They and have, sort of they retroactively given yes. it a higher... Have they? Yeah, yes. I think so. Like, they were sort of the whole, like, well, we were fucking idiots. Yeah. It's Zeppelin. I went through the Rolling Stone archives and uh, was able to actually read this review. And some of the stuff that they said in there, it's great. It says, um, this album doesn't do anything that the Jeff Beck Group album didn't do as well or better three months ago. Right. Babe, I'm going to leave you. The song is dull in places, especially on the vocal passages. Very redundant. 
and certainly not worth the six and a half minutes Zeppelin gives it. Which sounds like a Freddy review. I did actually you, was nodding my head while you were saying <laughs> Did you write that in 1969? Yeah. That was a previous life, yeah. And one cool. more. All right. If they're to help fill the void created by the demise of Cream, they will have to find a producer, an editor, and some material worthy of their collective oh, attention. Oh, man. That's harsh. Sure. Now, one thing about this album, though, uh, Jimmy Page completely financed it himself because he wanted to have total artistic control over it. And really, he, in his mic placement, came up with something so innovative that it's still used today. Most of the producers would just place a mic right in front of the speaker and just record it straight. He put mics across the room, 20 feet away, behind, just to get the full ambient sound of the entire guitar tone. And no one was doing that really up until that point. So that's why they they have kind of the more richer guitar sound that wasn't really used until that point. That's awesome. I love Jimmy Page. You know what? I wonder if the conversation about Hendrix earlier, if Jimmy Page is somewhere in that spectrum of getting close to the Hendrix style freedom up and down the neck. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, because Page goes off. And I know it's blues. We're talking about the blues here. Especially with this early stuff, but it's... um, Well, what Page did... That you never heard Hendrix. Hendrix loved the feedback. I mean, he completely embraced all that. What I love, like especially like, "Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You," is that acoustic, just up and down, and just fluid, beautiful, working that neck upside, one down or upside, whatever you know. Working that neck. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of necks, I'm kidding. There's no segue. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I give that album a ten. Oh God. Speaking of 10. Wait, are we one, done with that? Yeah, I want to get Freddie Zeppelin thing here. Because you uh, hate Zeppelin, right? N- no, I don't hate them. I, I, li- I like that song. Um, <laughs> good Times, Bad Times. It's, it's good. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> Great review. <laughs> oh, no, um, I give it a thumb. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is how I uh, get all my opinions is through the YouTube comments. And I had to go to YouTube... <laughs> To listen to this damn song because it's nowhere to be found on Spotify. It's not on Spotify. As are a couple of other songs on this show, so good luck finding them. One of the top comments for this song was, The best sex-making song ever. And I have to say to whoever posted that comment, This is not the best sex-making song They're not ever. doing it right if it is. No, it's just, nah, this, this is not the song to put on. John, what's a better oh, song? Oh, John, G.G. Allen, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because of all the pooping in each other's yeah, faces. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The pooping and the cutting and the dying. And the <laughs> hey, hey. I will, I will say, if I could ever go back in time, which I'm hoping to, you know, that happens one day, Zeppelin is the only band that I would care to see. From the right. I, would ki- I would have killed to see Zeppelin in their heyday. Who would you kill? You, well, you would be first. Okay, thank you. So you, you wouldn't be. It's dark. So, no, but that means you have to travel back in time, too. To then kill, I'd kill all the members right. of Operation Ivy. Wow. Hmm. It's a Scossacre. <laughs> right? that... no? I'd give that, that comment was... a 10. I thought it was pretty deep myself. <laughs> yeah, I could have done better. <laughs> awesome. My last album that I wanted to talk about for great debut albums is Pearl Jam 10.
album was released in 1991. Uh, it didn't really get a lot of exposure until mid-92. And truthfully, this was my gateway into the grunge scene. Uh-huh. When I heard this, I was knee-deep in like Motley Crue, Whitesnake, Rat. And then this came out, and I was like, I am resetting my musical taste right be- now. This was before Nirvana? I don't know. But Bleach came out in... Oh, yeah. No, I mean, never mind. This came really? out in 91. Yeah. Uh, Nirvana came out, I think, in 91 as well. But I know... You remember hearing this I, first. Yeah, I know I remember hearing this before. Never mind. Yeah. And this just really kind of just blew me away as far as, like, the the passion, the sound, the, the depth. Uh, I mean, everyone and their mother now tries to sound like Eddie Vedder. Mm-hmm. But... You know, at the time, it was really just different. different. Yeah, and it had had a, a depth and a soul to it that I didn't really hear from a lot of the music that was out at the time. I learned a lot about this album. Like, I remember my dad had this cassette tape back in the day. I'm sorry, what the f*** did you just say? <laughs> <laughs> my dad had this on cassette. Oh, my God, we're so old. <laughs> And because uh, he, he was into some of the like alternative rock bands, you know, he liked Soundgarden and uh, Stuntable Pilots and that kind of stuff. And I did not know that Yellow Ledbetter was an outtake from this album. Yeah, that's crazy. That 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 out that song didn't make the cut. Yeah, and it made like a, a huge splash when they released that one as a single. Yeah, and then the song Oceans had a music video that they didn't want to put out in America. Have you ever seen it? No. I haven't seen it. It's I've them like in Hawaii and uh, like out on the beach and surfing and all this kind of stuff. It's black and white. I think Oceans is one of those interesting songs that you don't really see a lot on albums now. It, it's it just doesn't fit in that album, but it's still just an amazing song. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's just in between two different songs that are just not anything like Oceans. And, and you know, you can't talk about this debut album without talking about the circumstances in which it was created, where Eddie Vedder living down the coast in California, uh, the guys from Mother Love Bone, right. <clears throat> mourning the death of their friend, mourning the death of their their career, basically, because that, that band was signed. They were finally going to be rock stars, right, and then yeah. everything falls apart. And yeah, then, they released that Mother Love Bone album like a few months after... Their singer yeah. had died. Yeah. So they were kind of. That like, was my. Oh, what that was my now? gateway into that grunge scene was that Mother Love Bone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard this story before of what Scott was mentioning, check out the Pearl Jam documentary PJ Twenty. Yeah. Uh, it's directed by uh, what's his name? Cameron, Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crow, yeah. Came out I think last year. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so you find it on DVD. I've been trying to get my Pearl Jam hating friends to watch that because they, I have a lot of Pearl Jam hating friends. I still love Pearl Jam. Um, I came onto it early. Got to it through Soundgarden, which I got to through Guns N' Roses, but then suddenly there's the, the grumpy dudes who care about stuff, you know? And um, it, it changed my life like I think it did yours. Oh, yeah. You know, I only know Shellac, Jesus, Lizard, Sonic Youth, all that because of Soundgarden getting me into Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam getting me into all the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, with the whole Seattle sound, the, you know, screaming trees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I consider this another one of my perfect albums that I can just put on. There's not a bad song, and the intro and outro are perfect because it just loops right back around and mm-hmm. you can just have this album on, on repeat and yeah. listen to it over and over. I wonder if when they made this album, if they knew... Well, I know it's obvious in hindsight. I, I think when I hear this, that those guys had no idea who they really were. 
I mean, and obviously it's easy to say after watching documentaries and they've been around so long and as a fan of Red Up and stuff, but even still, when you listen to the rest of their output and you listen to this album, what you were saying about like Oceans yeah. and how nobody does that, it's, you know, they wouldn't even do that anymore. Right. Uh, because I, I get that sense of, again, it, it was a stranger that was coming into their lives and changing it and they worked quick. You know, like, I, as I understand it, he just showed up at the rehearsal spot, was like, well, let's get to work, and they played a show. Yeah, they later. had a few of the songs already recorded as yeah. demos, and then in comes this new energy, Eddie Vedder, and they they just started kind of evolving into something new and different. And I just wonder if that sort of, that, obviously it worked out really well for him. Yeah, this, this album is one of the highest selling rock records ever at 13 times platinum. Wow. I think they had a backlash. I think if you're talking about people, lots of people, especially, I guess what you would say, your your hipster crap. They like they don't want to listen to you talk about Pearl Jam. Oh, they hate yeah, it. It's like not cool. But I, that was their fault. I mean, it wasn't their fault that they became that successful that quickly. And I sure. think some of their even you know like Vitology. I love that. Album. That's my favorite Pearl yeah, Jam album. I love, I love that album. album. And you, it was one of those bands. I, I think they were just a victim of their own success to yeah. a certain extent. One really cool thing they touch on on that documentary that we just mentioned is people that will follow Pearl Jam to like every single mm-hmm. show and they never know what set list they're going to play. They're not one of those bands that comes out on tour and they have all the hits are right there, same set every night. And people mm-hmm. are so excited, like, we don't know what the hell they're going to play. Well, like you were saying, they, they even did their own bootlegs where they would put them out yeah. from each show. Yeah. And I was like, why would they do that? Oh, because they're all so different. Well, another great line from that movie uh, that we keep mentioning, you know, you talk, you can't talk about Pearl Jam without talking about Nirvana. You know, Alice in Chains and Soundgarden, all those bands that were big right around the same time when everybody became a product. Those bands don't get mentioned. It's either, it's either I'm the punk rock kid with Nirvana, or I'm sort of the I, I don't know what the parallel would be with Pearl Jam, mm-hmm. but you weren't yeah, the yeah. punk kid if you listened Surfer, to Pearl Jam. Yeah, yeah, it was like the free spirit something. Totally, I think yeah. they were closer to what Red Hot Chili Peppers were doing than Nirvana. Yeah, I, I can't even to this day wrap my head around what was actually going on with that first album, other than I really responded to it. Yeah, because with those solos, you know, we were talking about Stevie Ray Vaughan mm-hmm. earlier, where clearly Mike McCready is is sort of a worshiper of that. But then you've got somebody like Stone Gossard who plays a more I don't know that sort of it's a more indie rock style sparse guitar thing, putting those together with the hippie surfer. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then the jock bass player who was a skater from a small town and it says it's like none of this makes any sense. The name doesn't make any sense. You guys don't Mookie, even know each Mookie other. Blaylock Mookie Blaylock. Mookie Blaylock. Yeah. yeah. That's why they named their album 10 is because that yeah. was Mookie's number on his jersey and they had to change the name because they were afraid of licensing rights. That would be amazing if we were all sitting here talking about the band Mookie Blaylock yeah. right now. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> There was one. Um, have you ever heard the the their cover of "I've Got a Feeling" the Beatles song? Yeah, bonus really, track on yeah. the Japanese release. That's yeah. a yeah. Re- really great cover of that. Yeah, I a have lot of their, a lot of their their bootlegs and like they do a cover of "Sonic Reducer," which is great. Uh-huh. Uh, they do another song called "Dirty Frank," was just yep. amazing. But they don't make them on the albums for some reason. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I think it, that early philosophy of theirs. You know, when you can only get Yellow Leather better on the, the import single for Jeremy kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, I think those early choices are kind of more represented in the band they are now today, where they're more of like a Grateful Dead touring act kind of thing mm-hmm. um, versus like Freddie was talking about. You know, it's, it's not some arena rock show where you're going to show up and get the hits. Um, but oh, the line from Pearl Jam 20 that I liked so much with the Nirvana Pearl Jam thing was Stone Gossard talking about how Kurt Cobain... Um, 
kept him honest. Like, they always knew that he was watching them and that he was going to shoot his mouth off in the press. And they just wanted to be a band. They just wanted to be a band. Go that on tour. Yeah. Organic growth. Yeah. And then the world made them huge. And I just, I liked that idea of the Fred, the heated rivalry that turned into a friendly rivalry. And then your greatest enemy becomes your sort of greatest resource just because of, uh, of you know, basically yeah. Kurt Cobain breaking your balls. I'm sorry, I just talked for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. So no, good choice with the Pearl Jam, man. Thanks, man. It's a, it's a great album. And if you haven't heard it, then you're probably not alive. Oh, uh, speaking of alive. Oh, no. we oh sorry. Okay, um, hold on. Wait, did you hear that? Okay. Can you hear this, Scott? Hear what? Scott Porter, come on down! It's time to play Who Said It? The game show where you have to decide who said it. Who said it? Okay. So excited. So the rules are simple. <laughs> What's a, what do I win? Well, let me tell you. Oh, there's a whole thing here. We will give you a quote and an option of two people, and you have to tell us who really said it. And if you, get no. all, if you get all of them correct, mm-hmm. you will be eligible to be entered into a drawing for the chance to win fabulous prizes, including anything from the all-you-can-eat OTL snack bar. Fantastic. Are you ready? Now, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the hardest game show we've done to date. Now, is this, are, are the quotes from you guys or from... No, no, no. What, okay, is this just... The quote is either or. Either A said it or B said it. And these are going to be either a musician or somebody from literature. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Sure. John, keep count. Folks, play at home. <laughs> That's a good point. Let us know how you do. Okay, so the first one. Either Cool Keith or James Joyce said, kiss the plump, mellow, yellow, smellow melons of her rump. James Joyce or Cool Keith? We need to think about this for a few minutes. Kiss the plump, mellow, yellow, smellow melons of her rump. Clock sticking. Cool Keith. Oh, right on the box. Missed it. Whoa, it was shit. James Joyce. No, no, no. He doesn't get a point for missing it. <laughs> You're not counting the ones he got wrong. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Number okay. two. Is this Snoop Dogg or Ernest Hemingway? Okay. <laughs> I've got this one. All right. You lay your hands on me. Watch how fast I take your freedom. Snoop Dogg or Ernest Hemingway? Can I ask you what the punctuation is between the two thoughts there? Is it a comma or a period? There's a comma. Snoop Dogg. That's yes. correct. That if it was correct. a period, I would have said Hemingway. <laughs> okay. One. Thank you. Yeah, I'm on the board, bitches. On I'm the on the board. board. on the board. Okay, this one is hard. Either The Cure or Sylvia Plath said. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> is there a difference? I thought Sylvia Plath was in The <laughs> Cure. Now the sun shines cold and all the sky is gray. The stars are dimmed by clouds and tears. And all I wish is gone away. Okay, do me a favor and read the first line again, and I'm going to try something. Trick now, question. It's from John Ozel's journal. <laughs> yeah, it is. Now the, the sun shines diary. cold. And okay, let me see. Now the sun shines cold. Uh, Sylvia Plath. Ooh, so close. It's the cure. It was the cure. Off of to wish and I couldn't hear it in in, uh, in Robert Smith's voice, so I. Well, uh, shit, how many questions are there? There's only ten short questions. Okay, I just, so I've still got a chance. You do. Okay. You're not out of the game I'm yet. just trying to figure out my odds here. All right, next one. Is this Parliament or Dr. Seuss? Oh, man. 
Snickery dickery snout. Eeny meeny miny tooty. Ring around the blazooey. This is Sir Nosy. Parliament? Parliament. It's Parliament. Okay. That's you got right. It. Yes. Off of Crush It. Two! <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Total guess, by the way. It's a good guess. Next question is, is this Enya or Edgar Allan Poe? One look at love, and you may see it weaves a web of mystery. All raveled threads can rend apart, for hope has a place in the lover's heart. Oh, man. Edgar Allan Poe or Enya? It's an awesome game. Enya! Yes! Yes! <laughs> Three! <laughs> Three. Well read, Freddy. Do you want to read the next one? I know you do. Is this Nirvana or Charles Bukowski? Oh, shit. Who wrote these? These are great. The staff I'm going to read this in the style of what I assume would be Charles Bukowski. Every wet nurse refused to feed him electrolytes. Smell like semen, I promise not to sell your perfume secrets. There are countless formulas for pressing flowers. Those are the words of Kurt Cobain. Yes, yes. that is correct. Very and you nice. sounded like Rorschach. Four! <laughs> Four. <laughs> oh, shit. Look at that. Thank you, Jake. Mastodon. Oh, shit. Or Maya Angelou. <laughs> <laughs> Splinters in my skin. Just like needles and pins, I cut through the pine. Love the feeling it gives. Been out here for days running through these trees. I'm using my hands. Cutting through the disease. Mastodon. Or my Angelou. Let me ask a question real quick. <laughs> Will you tell me the answer? Yeah. <laughs> okay, my Angelou. Oh, so close. Uh, Mastodon. Yes. <laughs> okay. Number something. Something. Number Black seven. Sabbath or Robert Frost. Okay. The way a crow shook down on me the dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had rude. That's uh, Robert Frost. Robert Frost! Yes. Nailed it. Dust of Snow. Five! What question is this? This is uh, some, uh, number eight? We're, we're on number nine now. Number nine. Oh, okay, yeah. Is this Talking Heads or Arthur C. Clarke? Oh, man. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is super fun. <laughs> All right. Someday men will walk on Mars but we will still be monkeys. Someday men will walk on Mars, but we will still be monkeys. Talking Heads or Arthur C. Clarke? That's Talking Heads. Yes! From the Facts of Life. Six! Yes. All right. Is this Rolling Stones or Allen Ginsberg? <laughs> I love all of this. You guys, this is great. Everything is going in the wrong direction. The doctor wants to give me more injections. Hmm. Rolling Stones... Or Allen Ginsberg. Stones. Correct. Yes, correct. What song is that from? Uh, Connection. Connection. Seven. Okay, here is your last and final bonus. Are you ready for the bonus? I am ready for the bonus. Because this will make up for any of the ones that you have missed. Let's do this. All right, I'm feeling good. Jane's Addiction or... Jack Kerouac. Oh, shit! <laughs> the air was soft, the stars so fine, the promise of every cobbled alley so great uh, that I thought I was in a dream. Kerouac. Yes. Yeah, totally. Nailed it. Eight. All you can eat from the... Eight OTL. out of ten? Did I? Yes. Sweet. Nice job. I'll have the flan. 
flan is excellent. I highly recommend Sweet. fresh it goes flan. goes good with my Melba toast. Yes. I'm going to slap that on some Melba toast and uh, dip it in some butter. Nice. Yeah. On that note, we got to go. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this very long show. You can find us on the internet at otlcast.com, where we will have the links to these songs and so much more. We're on Facebook at OTLCast. Go like us and tell your friends. And be a super cool guy and follow us on Twitter at OTLCast. We're also on iTunes if that does anything big for you. Send us emails to OTLCast at gmail.com. Thank you to Jake and Kevin for their production wizardry. Last but not least, a big round of applause and a huge thank you to Mr. Scott Porter. Thank you for yeah. your I regret nothing. <laughs> Thanks for listening and catch you next time. Peace! Make love, not time. Tune in next time when we discuss our favorite 80s Latin pop songs. Done! <laughs> Freddie Thurnold! <laughs> Freddie Thurnold! Well... I don't smell like whiskey. Your face does. Your face does. I don't smell like whiskey. Freddie Thurnold! Of course I did! Of course I did! Wouldn't you rather have a bendable poseable Tom York action figure? Tom York action figure? Tom York action figure? Uh oh.